0: The electric chair no longer supports nor participates in the Horror Palace Network. The electric chair killing is magic. Hello and welcome, everybody, once again to another edition of The Electric Chair. Thank you for listening. My name is Midnight Corey. I will be your host through this tour of horror that I'm giving you today. And I'll tell you what, I packed it in for you this week. I'm really, really excited. First and foremost, I got to talk to a director, a guy who I really, really admire because he made one of the best zombie films of the last decade. And I'm talking about Mr. Howard Ford, one of the Ford brothers, And he made The Dead 2010. Uh, I've reviewed that elsewhere and I love that film. I recommend that you go and buy it on Blu-ray if possible because it's a wonderful, wonderful film. And me being a zombie guy, I I just appreciate it that much more because it was such a great film. I got to talk to him. Fantastic guy. Really, really nice. I got to uh, Skype with him from uh, Great Britain. He's clear over there across the pond and uh, just a fantastic time I had talking with him. Talk about all the trials and tribulations of making the film, about his new book called Surviving the Dead that is all about making that movie. And I had no idea what went into that. So I can't wait for you to hear that. You're really, really going to enjoy it. We're going to check in with actor, writer, director, producer Maria Olson once again. ...for an exciting new project that she has going on that I think you really should check out. Also, this is a Woman in Black kind of episode. We're going to be talking a lot about the Woman in Black. Um, Obviously, it's still in theaters, I believe. Uh, So we'll be talking about the new Woman in Black, the latest movie adaptation of that uh, novel originally. So I'll be talking about that with Katie Rotz. And then I'm going to bring on Mike from Evil Episodes... And we're going to be talking about Woman in Black 1989. And did you know that they had a 1989 version uh, that was actually on British TV? I didn't know that either, but Mike knew about this. He turned me on to it, so I invited him on the show to talk about that version. uh, Also comparing it to the new one. So really, really fantastic discussion there. And uh, let's talk about a few horror things that I found online. Because uh, interesting things every week. First of all, my man, Misfit Boy, of course, we talk about him all the time. We're good friends. I I talk with him a lot. Uh, He he showed me this clip on YouTube. It's a trailer for a really spooky film coming up. It hits theaters May 25th, so here uh, pretty soon. It's called The Chernobyl Diaries, and uh, it looks really creepy, at least from the trailer. Um, It's made by the same guy who wrote and directed Paranormal Activity, Um, but this doesn't to me look like it's going to be a a found footage thing. So don't worry all you found footage haters out there. (laughs) It's okay. It's not going to be found footage. So that's, that's cool. Um, but no, uh, it, it looks like it's a, conventional style horror movie it does look really really creepy so uh yeah check out the trailer i'll post that up in the show notes as well as uh the official website where you can find out more about it but uh i'm actually pretty interested in this i hadn't heard of it before um it's a shame it wasn't promoted better maybe maybe you guys out there have heard about it but i didn't so thanks to misfit boy for uh showing me that clip um, also, you know, we're really looking forward, I'm really looking forward to, uh, Rob Zombie's newest film. It's an original film, not a remake. Um, and it's, of course, the Lords of Salem, which Maria Olsen, uh, that I spoke about earlier, uh, she is also involved in that. But, uh, Richard Lynch, who has worked with Zombie before in, uh, 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 Halloween, I believe, um, he talked to Fangoria about the new film and his involvement in there. Um, and, uh, it was a pretty cool article, but what entertained me most about it was, uh, you know, they're talking about, oh, how he got involved in the movie. And it's a little short article, you know, a few interesting things. And I'm looking at the comments on Fangoria. <laughs> it's like the only comments there are only a couple out there right now. Um, and they're both by just people who are, like, hating on it. They're like, you know, the one guy's, like, you know, just moaning and groaning about Rob Zombie's movies and everything. And, and uh, you know, like... What is it with so many people hating? You know, in the in the horror genre here, and uh, you know, when we discuss horror films online, there's a lot of great discussion, a lot of positivity, a lot of people have intelligent things to say, but there is a lot of of crazy hating going on out there, and I see it a lot on on the Horror Palace website, and uh, it's amazing to me in a genre that I think we're supposed to have so much fun with, and that uh, you can have a great sense of humor about, even though we're dealing with horrific things you know scenes of, of terror and gore and horrible things it's still a lot of fun and I, there's still so much that you can talk about and you know opinions differ we have differences all across the board we've seen that but man at the end of the day just come on let's have some fun it's not like you know life and death here you know and people just enjoy hating on horror and i'm, I'm just i'm wondering why. Uh, it's a very fascinating thing to me, but uh, yeah, so go check out that article and uh, maybe leave a nice, you know, constructive <laughs> sort of uh, comment on this. because uh, just something that I find very interesting, but I'll have that link up as well. This past week, or in the past couple weeks here at least, I guess, uh, The Walking Dead Episode 1 video game came out uh, for Xbox. I believe it was on the PlayStation Network before it was out for Xbox. But uh, I picked it up and I got to play it. And I'll actually be talking about it with uh, Mike over at Evil Episodes here at some point. Um, because again, he recommended this game to me or, you know, kind of turned me on to it. Let me know it was coming up. And so we're going to be talking about that. If you want to see the trailer for it, I'll have it up in the show notes, but uh, I've been playing that, you know, any zombie style video game, you know, I'm all about, and I don't get to game that much myself. I don't have a lot of time, but, uh, you know, when I do, I love zombie video games, horror video games as well. So, uh, yeah, check that out. And, uh, if you have an Xbox or a PlayStation two, PlayStation three, I'm sorry, um, then, uh, you can download it. It's like, uh, you know, what, like five, six bucks, something like that. So yeah, not much of an investment there. And, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, another zombie related thing I found this week, a couple more, um, one, <laughs> you know, <laughs> zombies have infiltrated our culture. Uh, it, it's so mainstream now and everybody, the big thing is zombies and, uh, you know, a lot of fun is had with them. Uh, and now I'm a kind of guy. I'm sort of like uh, counterculture in a lot of things I do. I'm any establishment and a lot of things. And I hate seeing like corporate kind of stuff taking over, but, uh, and that's what I see in this one clip, but it's, it's entertaining at the same time. They did it really well. And I, I just got to hand it to them, you know, and it's, it's a zombie thing being used uh, for Chevy. It's a commercial. It's a little web clip. I don't know if it was an actual commercial, but a web clip for the Chevy cruise. And, uh, it's all about zombies and how zombies fear the 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 chevy cruise out of any other car (laughs) and it's it's an entertaining clip uh i'll have the link up to that as well uh take a watch and let me know what you think but you know they're playing up the whole zombie thing and it's kind of quirky and it's kind of cool and i i liked it even though it's a big commercial but man what can you do what can you do i did appreciate it so i applaud chevy for for that it was entertaining um also uh another article about the upcoming remake of Night of the Living Dead, yet another remake. And I've talked about this before. But uh, this article goes into kind of the background of how the director got involved in it and uh, a little about him. So I'll post that link up as well and how you can fundraise, uh, donate money. This is another film that's out there using the crowdsourcing thing on Indiegogo, which is a fantastic site for all of this. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's really, really great. But I'm kind of into this, a lot of great names in it, and I really hope really hope, I'm keeping my fingers crossed, that they make a good film this time around. But uh, you never know, we will see. So, before we get into all these uh, crazy interviews and discussions, let's check in with Maria Olsen about her latest really, really exciting effort.
1: When they shave your head and slit your trousers and strap you to your seat. Oh, that seat. 10,000 volts coursing through this poor frail body with which I am cursed.
0: Well, I'm really happy right now to be talking with... One of the people who I think is the hardest working people (laughs) in the industry right now. I welcome Maria Olson. Maria, thank you for joining me tonight.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Absolutely. You know, first of all, I I need to congratulate you uh, that uh, Faraway actually reached its fundraising goal. Uh, That's really exciting.
1: Very, very exciting. Um, Randall Cameron, our writer, director, producer, is presently in the Philippines, um, up to his eyeballs in pre-production. Um, I wish I could be there with him, but hey, I'm just stuck in Los Angeles, right? <laughs>
0: oh, that's really great, and I, I just—I'm yeah. really happy for you and uh, to see that. I can't wait to see that. So.
1: Mm. They shoot the bulk of the film in June, July, um, and then they will be coming back to the USA and shooting the remainder of the scenes, which are set in Los Angeles. And that's when I'm going to be shooting as well, because I'm also in the film. Ooh, wonderful. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Yeah.
0: Well, I will keep everybody up to date on the news about that. But even Thank even you. more exciting, right now, I mean, just today, literally, I found out about another project that you're involved in, also being mm-hmm. fundraised you know, through Indiegogo. And it's called Way Down in Chinatown. And this sounds great. So tell us about that.
1: Um, I know the, I have known the writer, director, Eric Michael Kochmer for about a year now. I answered some random um, posting on Craigslist. And that put me in touch with Eric about his previous script. And we just became really friends. And one day he emailed me and said, I have another script for you to read. I'm like, okay. So he sent me this. And which was way down in Chinatown. And all of a sudden, I started to see his vision for the project and see it as more than it was on the page, see it in all its possibilities. And what he's done, he's written a story with elements of noir, elements of science fiction, elements of horror, um, apocalyptic drama, and intense personal conflict is played out between two people. It's like the conflict that the world is going through, but on a much smaller scale, just between one husband and one wife. The basic premise, um, two people are putting on a play. One is a playwright One is um, a director of the play, and they're deciding who to audition, where to have the play, do they need rewrites, their agent's on their back, you know, pretty normal stuff. But when you paint that picture against the backdrop of this is now the apocalypse, the world is literally coming to an end. People are dropping dead from unknown causes in the street, and all these two people want to do is get their play up on the boards. But... There are people who are after them. And that's where the strange, weird, underground living people come into things. Who walk around in in tuxedos and who smoke cigars and who have really, really pale skin and speak really strangely come into things. Because they're out there recruiting all the talented people to come down and entertain them underneath Chinatown. To come down with them way down in Chinatown.
0: I love it.
1: isn't that fun
0: that sounds great and and just uh looking at the teaser that you have up on the indiegogo website Mm -hmm. right now like i'm picturing like you smoking a cigar you know yeah uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) it sounds like a lot of fun and especially me being a big fan of movies like uh metropolis and uh, the cabinet of dr Caligari. You know, yes. I can't wait to see this film. It's, it's, it sounds really exciting with the horror elements and the, mm-hmm. the, the apocalyptic things going on.
1: Right. This,
0: this sounds like really something. Now, this, this, is this a, a short or is this like a full feature length film?
1: This is a full feature length film. Ooh, nice. Um, we've, yeah, we, we're planning to shoot it over approximately 15 through 20 days um, in June, July. Um, we're shooting completely in black and white. Um, and Eric is even going to push the black and white boundaries and have things like all white locations. Um, so it's going to have a such an interesting, interesting look. Oh my gosh. I cannot even begin to think how cool this film is going to look. I mean, our DP, Kiko Sora, just, shot Eric and I walking down a street or just sitting by, behind a table and speaking, and suddenly it's all so interesting because of the colors and the angles that you don't see when it's, you know, technicolor suddenly stand out in stark contrast when it's black and white.
0: Yeah, he has a very strong feel and a very firm grasp on mm-hmm. on the lights and darks and what noir is all about. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I, I got that just from that, that clip up on the right. website and uh again I, I just can't wait to see this uh it's gonna be very exciting and oh, yeah uh, you know anybody out there listening right now you can you can give as little as like five or ten dollars
1: oh yeah this thing. i cannot wait to play the role i'm one of the um strange pale people from underneath the ground and my name is bob yes hi i smoke cigars um but this is like creating a character that no one has really ever created before you know it's not me as some stressed out victim or some serial killer it's me as something that's never really been on screen um so that's really really exciting too
0: awesome awesome i urge everybody who's listening out there to go visit the link that i'm going to have up on the website at indiegogo.com slash project slash 78765 People can go and find out more about it. There is a lot uh, that you have up there right now about what the film is all about and things you can watch. And uh, it looks like a great effort. So Maria, yes, well, I, I can't wait uh, for people to support this and uh, yes. you know to get this made.
1: And we have some wonderful people in the cast of the film um, today. In fact, I um, drafted my first casting announcement. Um, that's probably going to be going out in the next two days. We have got – I'm not telling anyone who we have yet because we're hoping that people are going to be excited when they start reading the names that we have got attached to the movie. It's such fun. ha! <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love um, it. So all all of these links will be up and, and people can go and yes. find out more as you reveal them.
1: Absolutely. I'm going to be pushing the casting announcements as soon as they get out online. Then I'll be tweeting and Facebooking and linkedin or emailing or whatever just to have these announcements getting out there. I'm looking at releasing one every week or so. And before we move on, I just wanted to introduce um, the other two members of our production team. Um, Producer Jonathan Halusim of 22 Millimeter Productions. He's been amazing so far. He was the one responsible for putting together that promo clip. Um, Kiko shot it. Eric had the basic idea, I sat around and smoked cigars, but he put it together. (laughs) Very nice. And um, our final member is Angel Corbin, um, who in fact, in the last couple of weeks, came on to my company, MonsterWorks 66, as a full partner. So we are working on all the projects I had, and that is an extremely exciting thing for me because Angel is absolutely wonderful. Um, And she's also really excited to be part of Way Down in Chinatown.
0: Thank you for talking with me again tonight. And uh, let's do this again.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much, Corey. All right. It was about a week ago, a woman from this village saw her father walking in the forest at night. He'd been killed the day before, attacked by what we all thought was a wild animal. Then they came.
0: right now, I'm truly honored to have with me the director or co-director of seriously the best zombie movie to come out in a long time, The Dead. And with me right now, Mr. Howard Ford. Welcome, sir.
2: Thank you, Corey. Thanks. Great,
0: great to be with you. Oh, well, thank you for your time. And, and this, is, this is really fantastic that I get to talk to you because The Dead is the zombie movie I've been waiting for for a long, long time. And like right. I said, I was starting to lose hope.
2: I know, I know that feeling. My brother John and I had that feeling for a few years, and uh, we kind of just wanted to make the film. We just wanted to make the film we wanted to see, really. Uh, the zombie movie we hoped to see. I'm not, I'm not quite sure we did it, but we, we, we did a piece of
0: it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can really tell. I mean, do you realize, or I guess do you even accept that, that you and John are, are responsible for breathing life into and renewing people's faith in the zombie genre? I mean, is well, that... I think
2: well that puts it that puts it in perspective. If if we really have done even a piece of what you've just said, that that uh, well, it's funny because to a degree we realise a bit of it because we've been we've been overwhelmed, and I must say, you know, overwhelmed by the incredible responses on the dead. I mean, we sort of thought maybe John and I will really like it, <laughs> and <laughs> maybe a few other people will get it. Maybe a few hardcore fans that that know the references and and, and all the obscure stuff that we try to put in it. Maybe they'll get it. Maybe we'll get a few come through. But then there was a fairly overwhelming amount, and, and that has been great. And I have to say, that's taken away,
0: taken away a little bit of the pain of, you know, pain of making the film. Oh, and pain it, you know, is a, an understatement <laughs> uh, because you, you were on the verge of death. I mean, literally on the edge of yeah. death a lot of times. So just give us a taste for the kind of, kind of hardships and calamities and everything that yeah. <laughs> went into making this.
2: Absolutely. I mean, talking t- t- of being close to death. it was one minute I'm scared, scared we might die. To put it in perspective, the next minute I'm scared we might not die. <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> you know, there were times when I really just wanted to end it all. It, was, it really felt so awful. I mean, just without, you know, going into too much. I mean, there was, obviously I was, I was mugged a, a very soon after we got into Africa at Knife Point. Two guys with hunting knives and came at me. And then I was sort of used as a human shield after that mugging because some guys with clubs who were guarding a bank, came over, and it was, that was just sort of the beginning, and strangely, that sort of mugging wasn't, wasn't the worst part, I mean, there were so many things, I mean, I remember when the lead actor, Rob Freeman, got malaria and he collapsed on set, you know, covered in his own mess, very, very awful, undignified situation, the doctor standing in the hospital saying, you know, he's he's being treated for malaria, but he still might die within two to three days. <laughs> to get oh home. We're, we're gonna kill people here. My own brother getting he's just getting so sick, and, and he felt that he, you know, John, this was his dream project. I gotta tell you, this, for John, this is, and for both of us, it was. But John just sort of felt he he only ever really wanted to make the zombie film that neither of us got to make as teenagers. Uh-huh. But he he, and then seeing him get so ill during the process, and then. You know, uh, to the point where he felt if he got ill one more time, he, you know, he might die. And and we were held by, you know, armed police all the time. And it was it felt like a constant barrage of, you know, people trying to get money off us. And it was an assault, the the whole thing. And it was just an, a, a very difficult situation. But, hey, there's Africa in the film. And I guess, uh, you know, hopefully that pain is captures locations that no one else has in their movie. And, and, and I guess that's the reason one of the reasons why the film is sort of breaking through or has broken through in the way that it has exactly
0: that, yeah it's so different i mean you didn't go by your standard zombie movie formula you know uh, you didn't use a familiar location like a like a city or yeah. you know some sort of uh, countryside or anything i mean you were in the desert in actually very beautiful uh, locations but there's never been a zombie movie in africa No, there hasn't which is bizarre when you think about it, because the Zombie Legend, when you go back when
2: you really think about it, and John and I obviously thought about it way too much, that the original Zombie Legend is sort of Benin, Haiti, you know, Benin being French speaking West Africa. So we've shot the movie in French speaking West Africa. That was one of the decisions in in doing it there, because it kind of took
0: it back to its its roots and the legend and all that kind of thing. Oh yeah, yeah. And like I said, very beautiful. I mean, this is by far the most beautiful zombie movie to just just look at you know it's you, the way you shot it uh and i love that you shot it on film you didn't go digital with this yeah, and you, you get into you. that in your book um but the, just the color saturation and just how everything is captured even the camera movements everything was so epic and so you, you paid so much attention to the cinematography that was a that was a big thing for you
2: thank you yeah john and i i mean you know we've We've shot. I mean, I've sort of probably, well, in fact, directed quite a few TV commercials since then, but I've in total done about 150 TV commercials and John is director of photography as well. And, you know, John's a great cinematographer and, and both of us are incredibly fussy about these things. So, you know, in either one of us, if, if we're quite fussy with each other, if we feel the other is not quite hitting the mark with a camera move and we sort of share the camera movement 50-50, you know, we... We were sort of really trying to get a bit arty with this, and sometimes we'd sit there and go, "Is anyone really going to care?" I mean, no, like, <laughs> no, nope, nope, we're just going to try and no, nope, we're going to have this shot a bit, you know, get a bit more art in there and make it look beautiful. Because first and foremost, I personally wanted a beautiful movie before it was a horrific movie. So mm-hmm. there was that sort of almost uncomfortable feeling that, "Hang on, it's nice looking. It's the sound of nature. It's very peaceful. Yet there's dead bodies. There's you know, death and and." It's an uncomfortable situation, or at least that's how he wanted it to be, so it's great that you're picking up on on these things
0: oh yeah, and all those little nuances that you were talking about, all these little kind of artsy little things that you put in there, I really, really appreciated that. Those were some of the things that I loved, and a lot of them are very subtle you know you'll you'll have shots of of just uh, just a foot you know just yeah. cut, going by in, in the in the foreground and and just uh just little beautiful shots like that. That just really helped tie this thing together and make it a beautiful experience altogether. I loved it. Well, that's, that's great. It's great, that, it's great
2: that you got all that. I mean, you know, those, uh, we, in fact, we kind of wanted even more of those. There were, there's a few scenes that go by in the film where we had these kind of plans for additional stuff like that and they couldn't go. But hey, we, you know, maybe we got two out of three and, and that, that's hopefully worth it.
0: Yeah. And I, I, I got to talk about uh, the very first zombie that you see in the film Mm. because that sets the tone for the whole movie when i saw that zombie i'm like i am in for a great great movie you know if if the rest of the movie is even half as good as this zombie looks then this is going to be great (laughs) and uh so tell me about this guy he had he had kind of an interesting story um walking on that that broken leg as far as how you made him up to be but that was a great zombie can you tell us a little bit about uh kind of where he came from this guy, that guy in the desert, it was such a fantastic uh, guy and, and
2: John and I put in this, in the very first page of the script that there was a a zombie shuffling i can 't remember the exact words, but it 's something to do with the most horrific compound fracture on his leg and all of this other stuff um, in actual fact he 's meant to be even even more withered than he is, but we were struggling to find someone, and we were on the way to the desert, and there we were in this sort of shack of a Not even a hotel. I'm not even going to grace it with the word hotel. These were sort of these these weird metal containers that that have a mattress in the room that you sleep in. Mm -hmm. And um, and suddenly this guy walked by. We were sitting there at dusk, and this guy hobbled by, and it was like it may as well have been the most amazing pop star or whatever had walked by because John and I, John, I caught John's eye and I saw a look on his face, and he looked, wow, this guy, his leg, it was horrible bending right backwards now we found out later this guy had polio as a child it's a horrible story on the one hand so we we instantly got our um our sort of translators I like, you've got to get that guy we that guy is that zombie from the beginning and we're going to make him up and we're going to do something you know put effects on his leg and so they started negotiating with him and he, he was like no no they can't and, and it was all in foreign language which john and i didn't speak and we were very anxious this guy could get a sense that we were buzzing around and He I th- you know, he was either excited or worried or whatever. And and I said to him, Just negotiate with this guy. This guy's gotta come with us to the desert and play that zombies. And then they came back, he said, No, I'm afraid he can't. I said, Why not? And he's like, Well, he works at the the local boarding house up, up the road for coins for like and, and it's Saturday tomorrow and he might make sometimes he makes over a dollar on a Saturday. I <laughs> it's like, Oh my god, this you know, I've been heartbroken already so many times. But he um and I said, to the, just to offer him fifty dollars. Uh, you know how much does he earn? I, it was like, um, you know, he might get three dollars a week type thing. things. Offer this guy fifty dollars or whatever it is to come with us for three days to the desert and just walk from point A to point B as a zombie. And then he, and then his he, big smile suddenly erupted on his face when the translation. I said, "Is he coming Yeah, He's in fact. He's so you know he's so happy he could dance. And I'm like, please don't dance on that leg. Uh, but basically, so he came with us, and it was like a jolly for him. He was off on a holiday. I mean, we were all having a bit of a miserable time, I must say. Mm. But he was like, he absolutely loved it. And in fact, he was so happy, this guy, that when we did the shot, we had to do it several times because he literally, we could not get the smile off his face. He, he was literally, he could And I said, why does he keep smiling? And they said, he's so happy. He's, he's going to be able to feed his family for three months, and all he has to do is walk along in the desert. <laughs> you know. And we added the bone fracture, And he was just a great... Guy. It was just a shame we couldn't speak the same language, but he had fun. He was one of the few people who had fun
0: on the dead. <laughs> yeah, now the, now the majority of the zombies, I think, what, pretty much all the zombies were locals uh, that you that you pulled exactly. in from villages. Yeah, they were
2: basically people sometimes starving to death. I mean, it's it's a horrific situation. You see a lot of real death in, in Africa. It's the way it is. Um, and, for example, in the rock formations towards the end, there's this guy wondering about... Um, very we went for obviously very thin looking zombies we wanted we went for the most dead looking people and obviously by so doing you come across people who are quite literally almost dead and um we that one guy wandering around the rock formation he'd been wandering around for 3 days and and we we recruited him um you know and, and then before we started shooting the I translator said look I'm, can I, I'm sorry, we can't shoot you. I said, what's the problem? He said, would you mind, can he eat? He hasn't eaten for three days. I'm like, of course he can eat. My God. <laughs> so we had all this rice stuff, which we cooked up, you know, and this guy was just, oh, it was, for him, it was sort of like heaven. They couldn't believe their luck. So th- these were the nice aspects of making this film. There were people, you know, we were not saving the world. Don't get me wrong. We were there to make a zombie movie, yeah. but um, we could give money. It, it enabled us to give cash and food and an experience that must have been so surreal to these people. I mean, they, when we left, they must have almost wondered to themselves, did that, did that really just happen? Was I really just a zombie in a movie? And then
0: they'll look at the money in their pocket and yeah, they were. Was, so what was their reaction? I mean, you know, I, I assume a lot of them being very poor and, and out in these really remote locations, yeah. had they ever seen a zombie movie before, some of them? Or what was, what was their reaction when you're making them up with all this blood and the contacts and the makeup and everything? Was there, yeah. was there a strange reaction there? Great question, and um John and I were really worried about this when
2: we first went to Africa, because we thought firstly, are people going to be offended do they will they understand? are they going to think we 're calling them monsters and and, and we're going they going to be so offended but that literally this is the one thing I would say you know perhaps there 's more than one, but we were very lucky on because they they totally got it. I think we only had two instances where where there was one guy who thought we were going to take him out um, into the desert to chop him up, and so he wouldn't come in. Oh, and there was wow. another person who caught a look at some of our severed limbs in the car and then ran off. But outside of these <laughs> these instances, no, they absolutely went for it. And we, 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 we asked them to tell us what they thought about zombies through the translator. There was something really weird happened. We went through the city once. Uh, I'm not sure this is even in the book. I can't remember, but... Um, we went through the city once and there was this little hut and it was had a little I sp- it was their version of a cinema. It was like a TV on a dusty old table and a whole load of people gathered around chairs and people leaning over other people who didn't even have chairs. And they were playing the evil dead. And when my brother and I saw that, we're like, this is this is no problem.
0: Wow. If this,
2: the evil, <laughs> I know. I, I, and it's the only film I saw playing in Africa. I mean, obviously, we were not looking out for it, but it was the literally to, tonight. It said on this handwritten sign whatever the word, the evil dead. And it, there it was playing on a really bad, must've been a VHS um, tape. But there was the evil dead. And the weird thing about that is the evil dead. It was so surreal. Cause the evil dead was one of the films that got John. And there was all these sort of weird synergies. I don't know. It's odd, odd things that went on like that. And that was one of them. So that was a moment we thought, Hey, if they, if they're into the evil dead and there's a huge crowd in there, we're okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, man. And they, by the time we persuaded them, you know, they were, obviously, these people were not actors. Some of them had never seen cameras before. Some most of these people were villages without electricity, without running water. When we put up a light in a village, um, literally, people would come out of the, the trees or whatever because they had they hadn't seen their village at night outside of a bright moonlit. It was such a novelty for them. It was like I don't know some spiritual experience for them. They'd gather around, and just stare at the light. The little kids were just
0: in awe of these things it was like a um, yeah it was a really really (laughs) weird experience yeah i mean has it changed your perspective i mean even on life you you go to a third world country somewhere that's extremely poor like you said people are starving dying just suffering in unimaginable ways um and i know you've been to africa several times before on other shoots but uh how how has that affected you have you has it kind of changed your outlook on life Yes, it did. It it absolutely did.
2: Um, And in fact, I remember when I first encountered this kind of poverty in Africa, I was, this is just a couple of years before we did The Dead. We were out, my brother and I, we ended up shooting TV commercials in Nigeria, Ghana, and places like that. And originally, by going to Ghana, we we were going to do the whole thing in Ghana because we made some friends there. But I remember driving about when it was getting dark and there was a family, I mean, I call it a family, in a ramshackle. This is a, yeah, a mother with two children. I didn't see a father there or whatever. But they had like a mud hut thing with a little bit of corrugated roof thing. Literally just balanced on. They had nothing. There's no electricity around this place for miles. All they had was a few bricks and a um, a pot which they had rice in. And they were sitting there playing this game where they sort of slap hands with each other. The kids were, you know, I don't know what it's called. But what I stopped there and we st- I asked. That we have drivers and all this sort of stuff and. Uh, and I asked the driver just to stop for a minute. And I watched that. I remember looking at these people, these kids thinking, and the mother thinking, my God, they have nothing. What we would consider literally nothing, one pot with rice in, nothing else. But they looked so, so happy. So I'm telling you, so happy in their bodies, happy to be alive, happy to be on this earth. And then I get back to London Heathrow after the shoot, you know, taking the film stock to the lab or whatever we were doing. And I'm sitting on the, the tube train, as we call it, and I look up and down all these people with great watches and iPads and, and this that and the other and, and literally they are all sitting down. No one's giving anyone eye contact. They look as miserable as sin. And I thought we are so poor in this country. Uh, we are so poor. They are so spiritually rich. And I, mean, I don't want to get into all. It, you know, it's not been my philosophy, but it really did. It really. I mean, I you know, I like I like materialistic stuff as well. You know, mm-hmm. uh, going down to Cannes next month in my nineteen seventy two Grand Torino is a mistake. You know, I like a bit of you know, I like a bit of fun like that. Right. But um, you know, these people had nothing yet they had everything, mm. and I felt envious of them because I didn't know how to, you know, achieve that kind of happiness with with so little. So it's horribly. I mean, some of the people who are in the dead, incidentally, are already dead. Mm. I happen to know some of the zombies because we. I went back to Africa and I asked, you know, if certain people. Oh, yes, he's died you now. He passed away, and you know, so it, it's it's horrible when I look at certain. But I think God, yeah, I know that person is dead, and uh, it's it's really weird. It's it's uh, it's unpleasant. His life is kind of cheap out there. And it's like, and, and no one seems to be bothered. It's like, oh yes, he's he dead. No, yes, uh, you know, <laughs> it it's almost like, oh, oh my God, we're we're so concerned. And I mean, the same is with animals. So. I remember I mean, there was a, quite a lot of all, what I felt to be animal cruelty, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm not a vegetarian, I, I like the old burger, you know, but, uh, so I can't really talk. But, <laughs> you know, sometimes these people were beating animals at the side of the road and you just you, they started to say things like, uh, well, they, apparently they believe that if they beat the animal so much it'll come back as a higher being and therefore the, the ones who love their animals the most are the ones beating them the most. I mean, the whole thing is a bit screwed. Wow. <laughs> So that's my feeling. It's really weird. I did come back feeling like it it was an enlightening experience, but
0: also, my God, it it was sort of good to be out of there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I could imagine. And uh, everything we're talking about, we're just really scratching the surface. It's the tip of the iceberg of of all your experiences and and your feelings and everything that happened there. And uh, you wrote a great book about this called uh, Surviving the Dead, I'm about halfway through it right now, and I just—I never want to pull myself away because it is very compelling. You're—you're you're very Thanks. just honest and straightforward, and it's a very easy text to read. So, yes. uh, d- tell us about this, like kind how you yeah. decided to write this.
2: Well, there's a couple of things. I mean, firstly, when I when I got back, and thank you so, thank you for your comments on that. I really appreciate that, and I'm glad you're enjoying the ride so far, even even if it's a turbulent one. There's a lot more gory <laughs> details to come. But I just had to, it was such an incredibly tough experience. And I, we were tested to the limits. I mean, I thought I'd been on a few tough shoots. I mean, I thought we'd had it tough. I thought we knew about difficulties on set. We didn't know anything when we were getting into this thing. It's, it's so hard, even with the words in the book, to explain how difficult it was. So when I got back from Africa, it was, it was one of those moments of, what the hell just happened? What the hell just happened? So I, I thought to myself, I've got to get this down on... Um, paper this is so unbelievable what we just went through i would have to write it down even if the act of writing it down allows me to exorcise it to burn it. i was literally thinking like, maybe i'm going to burn this in some weird ritual oh, wow. <laughs> just to sort of get rid of these problems because i, fe- I felt like we'd, we were all so traumatized and i have to say my brother john still to this day wakes up in sweats in the middle of the night he's got post-traumatic stress over what we went through on the on the film, you know, being held at gunpoint, you know, the oh. knife point, and all of these horrible things, and, and being so ill, and just feeling like your dream is sort of being shattered, is what what it felt like. Um, mm. So we had to just had to get it down on paper, and then as I did it, I thought I started to think, hang on, some of these scenarios are so ridiculous that we encountered, they're almost funny, and I've got to have a sense of humour about this, and I've got to look on the bright side. So I thought to myself, you know what? Let's, I'll just. I'm almost finding it funny in hindsight. It was so painful at the time, but it's funny in hindsight because we survived. So I thought, let's get it down as a book. And it started and I showed a few pages to someone and like, you know, this is actually quite engaging and it's amusing. And I want to know what happens next. And I thought, wow, this is it's so easy compared to making the film to write a book. I've got to tell you, you know, <laughs> there's no uh, no actor comes, he wants to storm offset, no one gets ill you know oh, you yeah <laughs> just like your words, and I sat in a coffee shop I actually went i don 't know if I've said this to anyone, but I, I actually went off to Thailand on my own uh within two weeks of getting back oh
0: really because,
2: yeah, it was weird because in in you know it's almost like when people get get out of prison, not that I've ever been to prison, I hope I never do but um although i very very nearly did in Africa yeah. but anyway so, <laughs> got back and I thought um I almost missed, there was such a buzz of life in Africa that isn't there in England in the same way. And so I almost needed to go back to a place that had that buzz around because I was sort of missing it in a strange, strange way. So yeah. Thailand was perfect for that. I'm not going to get mugged so much or held at some point in Thailand. So I went out there, sat in a coffee shop uh, I'm ashamed to admit it. I sat in a Starbucks in, uh, in the center of Bangkok. <laughs> and I literally, they, they, I went in there in the morning and I went out at closing time. These people thought I was utterly weird. Sat there, wrote, wrote the whole thing. But it was a nice experience, just confessing all and trying to be honest as you picked up on all the details. And then basically, I remembered that while I was out in Africa, on a rare day off, so to speak, we couldn't shoot because people were ill. We went to some bar and the local African guys who I spoke to there, it came back to me. Something came back to me. I said to them, you know, one day, people are going to call John and I racist for making this film because they're not going to... I said, they said, no, 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 that's, that's crap, that's crap. I said, no, no, they will. They, they will. Someone will. Someone's not going to get it. Someone's going to see African, you know, black people being shot. There's a white American starring it. I said, I can see it coming. They're just going to do it. They're going to say it. And we'll be attacked for this. And they were like, no, no, no. And, and, and I said, well, look, do you mind if I tell people of the corruption we experienced out there. And they said, no, no, you must insist, you must promise us you will tell people of the way the police come at us for money and this, that, and the other. Uh, So I said, all right, I will. Uh, Maybe I'll write a book or something. They said, yeah, yeah, you should write a book. And that came back to me while I was jotting it down. So I thought, you know what, this is too many things are pointing at it. This has become a book. So it's now, as you say, the website is www.surviving-dead.com. And, yeah, it's just... um, there's an e, you know, the old ebook, iBook, whatever you call it, mm-hmm.
1: um, Oh,
2: EF, or, you know, and there is a paperback
0: version coming out actually in the in the next sort of uh, week or ten days, I think. Oh, excellent! I'll put this link up on the website and everything, and I, I strongly encourage everyone. Uh, definitely, if you have seen the movie or if you're thinking about seeing the movie, you, you got to read this book. I mean, it's it's absolutely amazing. And and something else that I really like about it is there's actually a wealth of advice and information. For filmmakers, for people who are looking to maybe shoot a movie or something. And there are all these sidebars that you go off on for, you know, every once in a while. Yeah. Just saying, here's, you know, here's a situation I was in. So here's my advice. If you're make, looking to make a movie, then take it from me. Here's what you, you got to do in this situation. And I thought that was really, really great. Because there's, it's more than just a memoir. It's more than just, you know, these are my experiences. Because you you apply them. To, yeah. to filmmakers you're trying to help people out and I thought that was great well
2: thanks I hope I did it in a way I was hoping to try and do it in a way that didn't even if you were not at all interested in filmmaking that it might just give you the mindset of a filmmaker so it could then enable people to relate to our nightmare situations even more knowing the you know the ways that a filmmaker might want to approach a situation and how painful it might be there so uh, yeah I'm glad you enjoyed those bits as well and it's one of those things we put them I put them in a slightly you know, both different format, a different font type thing. So if people decided, okay, they don't care about filmmaking or don't want to know anything about the film business, then they could sort of slide past those bits very easily. But it seems so far, everyone who has read it has taken in those bits, even people who are not interested in being a filmmaker at all, because they enjoyed the fact that it gave them a perspective over the business. And obviously Mm -hmm. I, you know, John and I've had some other situations on past movies where we, we got a bit ripped off for money. So we've, put all of that stuff down there the pitfalls for people to avoid and in a way it's the same with any business you know even if you're you're interested in the music business or whatever these pitfalls are kind of there in any business in some respects. And yeah. I've tried to be a bit humorous about it in, in hindsight. <laughs> oh,
0: you were. It was, it was downright funny a lot of times, uh, the, the way you were wording things and saying them. And uh, it, it is, though, it, you feel like you're kind of getting a peek behind the curtain a little bit because yeah. it's so, you know, movie making is so glamorized and Hollywood and everything, although you're, this was surprisingly low budget. You know, watch the movie and you, you can't tell it's low budget. Yeah, I think really we should, have had a, we should have had, you know, 20
2: times... If not more, the money we had, and a lot of people have assumed the budget's much bigger, but it was just so tight. You know, yeah. sometimes we could only do one shot of something or two. If we got it wrong, it was tough. We were not going to have enough film stock to, uh, you know, finish the movie if we carried on. So we had to really tighten our belts a lot to get it done.
0: Wow, and that's that's what so many of the great filmmakers, horror filmmakers especially, have done. Over throughout the decades, is uh, they they take what they have and they just stretch it and stretch it and stretch it, and they can do amazing things with it. And that's that's exactly what you did. So I got to applaud you for that. Well, thank
2: you very much. And we were John and I were really inspired originally by, um, I mean, first and foremost, we saw Romero's Dawn of the Dead, the original, and we, that blew us away. And then yeah. Sam Raimi's The Evil Dead, which we saw pretty soon after, and that film utterly terrified me. And, and was sort of simplistic. At the same time, you know, so that's in a way the dead It's complicated, but actually it's very simple. We sort of wanted it to be a simple A to B to C journey movie, something like you might have seen in the 70s, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in a way, things like seeing the evil Dead horror boiled down to something simplistic, but something really, really terrifying. I mean, you know, and I remember seeing that movie, being so, so impressed with it. You know, that's a very low budget uh, low budget movie as well and i'm not comparing ourselves to the evil dead it's, it's 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 you know but it's uh one of those things that inspired us and um you know we were so impressed with this it's inventiveness if you like it was different
0: yeah yeah it certainly was and just absolutely brutal just it's scary terrifying a little bit funny and, and yeah just Wow, and uh, what was it about Dawn of the Dead? Now, Dawn of the Dead, I'll just let you know, is my favorite movie of all time, hands down.
2: Yeah, well, also you share that. It's it's up there in my top three. Um, I would say it's almost my, but you share that with John, my brother. It's his favorite movie of Mm -hmm. all time. It's it's pretty much mine. But every now and then, I I find there's a contender. But hey, it blows me away. It's up there. That film is so amazing for me and for both John and I. When we first saw that, we were so blown away. In fact. Romero's Drawn of the Dead ha- is the reason for us the dead exists had oh. we not seen that film the dead would never have existed it took horror into the light that was the thing that it did for us it took horror into the light so far all the horror movies I'd seen had been about what was going on in the shadows and what you didn't see and here of a sudden, all of a sudden we're in broad daylight I'm still terrified uh, that was an awakening for us that, that did something to John and my brain uh, and uh, I remember walking home we saw that in a friend's above a friend's fish and chip shop in uh, the town where we live. Oh. Uh, and we basically were so terrified. Walking home, we had to walk home in the center of the road and every single person that came out of the doorway had the potential
0: of being a zombie. It was, oh, that stuff gave oh, us night. I know what you mean. And, and for me, I actually grew up in Pittsburgh. Um, oh, and right. I, I went to that mall when I was a little right. kid. My parents took me skating at the ice rink, and right, I, I right remember right. all the stores. So it was that it affected me on that kind of, of level, where I'm like, oh my god! I, I, you know, I was just, I was just there, and all of a sudden these zombies are ripping people apart in this mall. So, you know, psychologically and just with my experiences affected me like that. And
2: yeah, so. of course. I suppose
0: your parents being that's the other thing that you've touched on, sorry.
2: Is that seeing Dawn of the Dead? It was the the sequence in the beginning when it's someone's loved one. You know, the the lady runs into the arms of the the zombie in the in the um, I suppose the housing estate we would call it. Right. Uh, housing, maybe you'd call it that. But um, and then tries. to, Oh, that's me saying I've got an interview in three minutes. <laughs> uh, the, the that's uh, the, the loved one. You know, in his arms to give him a, a hug, and then he just looks at and just goes straight for the arm, just casually, uh, lifelessly. Bite her arm and it's a horrific injury that that stuff was terrifying that your loved one you know you were not safe because the one you love could come at you as a as a piece of meat there's something quite horrible about that exactly <laughs> exactly uh so. yeah and i think with the dead where we could relate to it is that it didn't no matter how that's the the reason john and i wanted to do this in the um the open place because that's the one thing we always wanted to see the the only thing even the classic movies that john and i loved and we still have a great fondness for and will forever impress us. They still ended up hauled up in a place. And that's the one thing John and I wanted to do differently. We th- said, so, no, let's have a, have a zombie movie. And we want to see a zombie movie where it's never, where they never haul themselves up in a place. They continue constantly. That's just something we wanted to see them on the run. So We thought, do it in a landscape where even if you could keep going, at some point, the terrain is tough. And at some point, you're going to have to eat, sleep, And then they're going to get you, no matter how slow they are. That's just something. It's almost an agoraphobic nightmare. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so is the making of the dead. So I hope people do get a chance to check out check out the book because there's, you know there's a lot of things in it that, that you'll never get from watching the movie and maybe it'll give people a different perspective
0: exactly exactly well thank you again for your time i'm going to encourage everyone once again go out see the movie buy the book i'm going to put all the links up so you don't have any excuses whatsoever <laughs> um howard before i let you go one more question and a, a ton of people have been asking this sure. is there uh, thoughts of a sequel
2: yeah, funnily enough, I get, John and I, even in the last few days, have been back... Because John's in the south of France now, just so you know. He's in the south of France with his girlfriend, uh, Anne, who who worked on and uh, was in the movie, although it's a sequence that got cut out, hey. But um <laughs> So John and I have been back and forth with email uh, without giving too much details. It seems pretty likely now. Um, in fact, a sequel is wanted um, from a not just when we're thoroughly appreciative of of the fans of the dead who want a sequel. That's the reason it's going to happen for John and I, because of the type of comments you kindly gave at the beginning. These are the reason we've kind of felt if people support, support the film, we've got to go do it. So we are, we are very likely to go and do it, whether it's Africa or not. Mm. I need to come back to you on that one, but yeah, there is. In fact, I'm going down to Cannes next month. John and I are meeting down at the Cannes Film Festival. We've got some meetings about it. Um, it looks like it's going to go. Uh, we have a structure without giving too much away. I've been told not to say anything about it. I don't know why, but, uh, but uh, you know, uh, I think it's pretty likely. Um, Excellent.
0: It's pretty likely. That's music to my ears. You have no idea. That's that's, <laughs> we- that's great. So, well, thank you once again for your time, and uh, hopefully we can get to do this again. That would be great. Thanks, Corey.
2: Thanks so much for having me there. And uh, also uh, thanks to everyone who supported the the dead john and i really do appreciate everyone who's put their hard-earned cash into a dvd or a blu-ray or whatever it's, it's appreciated and if, if you know you know if if, if the dead who happens it's for that reason <laughs> excellent excellent, uh, excellent. Well, thank you again sir thanks so much you too take care cheers
1: during afternoon tea there's a shift
2: in the air a bone trembling chill that tells you she's
3: there there are those who believe the whole town is cursed, but the house in the marsh is by far the worst. What she wants is unknown, but she always comes back. The specter of darkness. The woman in black.
0: Well, with me right now for a movie review, I have actually the very first other podcaster that's ever appeared on the electric chair. I'm very happy to be talking right now with Katie Rotz. How you doing tonight?
4: I'm doing great. And wow, I didn't know I was like, you know, a big deal or whatever. I'm pretty excited and glad to be here.
0: This is history right here.
4: So, In the making.
0: Exactly, exactly. Uh, I really appreciate that you came on tonight and uh, w- w- were willing to talk with me uh, about this really, really new movie. But before before we get into all that, uh, of course, you're over there with Rotten Rannings. And uh, what's going on over there? How are things going?
4: Um, really well. Right now we're doing, and I'm going to try and say it correctly, the Horror Olympics. <laughs> and we had Doc Shock going for the first episode, and we did four movies. And boss will be coming on for the next one, so we're going to be looking for some fan outreach to see who the winner of the Olympics is. So you have to check it out and let us know what you think.
0: Awesome, awesome! I'll definitely be checking that out. And uh, yeah, you and you and Chris just do a fantastic job over there. I really. Enjoy oh, thanks. It. So let's let's uh, talk about this movie here. This is a brand do new we have movie. To? It's. <laughs> i know when when we were talking beforehand you sounded so enthusiastic about this and i am uh, i am going into this i really didn't know much about it except it was it was kind of a big deal there was a lot of people talking about it you know a lot of a lot of horror people going out to the theaters to see this and uh i think that it's not in the theater as we speak right now but of course you know we both went out and saw it and um that is the woman in black um heard a lot about this so going into this movie did, did you uh had had you read anything about it? Did you know anything about it? Or did you have like a clean slate?
4: Um, I was kind of like you. I heard it was pretty scary and that I should go check it out. Um, of course, I was a Harry Potter fan. So there was a lot of, let's see what else this kid can do. And I wasn't going to watch him <laughs> naked in whatever play he was in. Yeah. yeah was. <laughs> so this was my chance. But yeah, so I heard good things. And I was pretty excited to go see it, actually. I found... Even though I thought I didn't like ghost movies, they actually scare me the most. I just they're not my favorite by definition.
0: Ah. ah. See I had it on uh you know, on good advice uh, from our friend, Tara Tovey, like I, I was telling you, he said, uh, you know, he went and saw this before I did. And he's like, oh, this was so good in the theater. We had a great time. So, you know, me and Tara, you know, we're pretty tight and everything. And uh, we don't always see eye to eye on movie. Actually, we, well, we rarely see eye to on, eye on movies, actually. And uh, but, you know, I kind of, you know, if he said he had a good time, I'll give it a shot. You know what I mean? So eh. it's worth it. Yeah, well, that's
4: what I figure. I've seen some crappy things in the theater. So I was like, oh, I might as well give it a shot and see how it goes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now, this, this is a, a Hammer film. Um, now, are you familiar like with Hammer horror? Have you seen a lot of Hammer horror films?
4: Yeah, but only when I was a kid. So I really need to go back and watch them. Since I started podcasting, there's been a lot of movies that you know are classics. And everyone's like, I can't believe you haven't seen them. Like I only saw The Thing recently. I don't know what's wrong with me.
0: Wow. Really? So
4: it's now in my top five, though. So does that make it worth it? I think that oh, yeah. evens it out.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. But this
4: this is not in my top five. If you were curious,
0: yeah. Well, this is this is weird because for me, it, it doesn't look like a, a a Hammer film. Now Hammer did most of their stuff like back in the sixties and seventies, and, and a little bit in the eighties, and uh, they, they always had a certain look, you know, and a kind of kind of feel to them. And and this is like a brand new production and real real great uh production quality to it and it was real clean and slick and uh so it, it it actually didn't feel like hammer at all except that it was it was british you know it uh didn't have that feel but uh it's interesting this takes place um what back in the 20s i think um it was old in time definitely but yeah did they say actually when it took place uh no you know i was looking um i was looking Somewhere about this, a review, and they said it was during like the nineteen hundreds, nineteen tens, somewhere in there. But people had cars, you know. And I, I'm I'm trying to think whenever you know cars started being more common. I mean, we saw some horse-drawn carriages and stuff as well, but you know, but cars, a little bit
4: more common, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking I'm thinking it was the twenties, and I think that they referenced some uh, like going to see some films. Am I, uh, didn't they talk about,
4: um, they probably did. I tuned out like partway through the (laughs)
0: movie. So it's something like that. It's, it's yeah. Back in, back in the beginning of the 20th century. Um, like you said, Harry Potter, Daniel Radcliffe is the star. And I, I actually didn't know that. Um, I didn't know the name going in i didn't know daniel radcliffe i just knew harry potter you know oh oh, oh,
3: yeah yeah
0: and uh so i saw this guy on the screen and i'm like i recognize this guy and for some reason the first guy i thought of he kind of bears a resemblance to uh frodo who played frodo in uh, lord of the rings
4: yeah what's Um, his name i can't think of it yeah but i'm like oh, elijah wood
0: oh yeah yeah and so you know he kind of had that look a little bit and i thought that was him for a while and i'm like no that's harry friggin potter you say, wow! All grown up, little Harry, grown up playing a big boy film. You know that's <laughs> he
4: looks the same, doesn't he? As like yeah. when he was eleven years old, just a little older.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh uh, yeah.
4: I yeah. I don't know. He wasn't a bad actor. I'll give him that. I don't think it was his acting that I didn't like.
0: Yeah. I mean, did you think? It, did he sell his role to you? Um, I mean,
4: I guess you know. I guess we should tell the fans. Like, do you want me to do a little tiny summary of this wonderful movie? Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. So he's like a lawyer who's lost his wife to childbirth. So he gets assigned this last ditch effort, like his company is about to fire him because he's kind of been not doing what he's supposed to. So he goes to investigate what's going on in this town where, you know, there's kids dying and all kinds of weird stuff going on. So it's really about him trying to discover what happened or what the problem is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's in charge of this big, creepy house. You know, the, that uh, that lady died and her estate was kind of up in the air. So it's he
4: job to figure it out.
0: Yeah, yeah, he had to go through to put all our papers in order and then he was only going to be out of town like a few days and then I think his his, uh uh his son and the nanny were going to come up and kind of vacation in this town but I I uh I love this house like the setting of the house. Like it was it was really creepy and it had kind of like a whole gothic thing going on. Um you know, cuz he had to take that weird winding road out through the middle of this marsh place you know and it was surrounded by that sea mist and so it, yeah it was, it was creepy. Kind of creepy yeah
4: it was and the townspeople didn't want him there and the house was creepy so i mean at this point it really had my attention but this is where i started to notice it the thing that bothers me the most about this movie everything is a jump scare yeah. everything
0: see that kind of surprised me because like i said i'm I'm used to classic horror, hammer horror films uh that actually don't rely on a lot of jump scares you know they rely on on atmosphere and just being creepy all around, and uh, so I was prepared more for like a like a real mood kind of movie. You know, something that, that kind of creeps up on you and gets you that way. But uh, there were Aren't a ton, <laughs> no, there were lots. I was I was surprised, but it wasn't like it was very violent at all.
4: No, no, it's just like it actually was stupid things like, look, it's a bird, surprise. <laughs> yeah. yeah, look, we opened the door, surprise. <laughs> um, but it, yeah, I don't know. At some point, your body's still reacting to these jump scares somewhat, but you're like, eh, All right, yeah, another jump scare, another jump scare. Okay, so the movie pretty much to me was him like running around the house and like a lot of jump scares.
0: Yeah, see, that didn't bother me uh, very much. Actually, I, I kind of dug it, um, because I was kind of into the atmosphere of the town and I, I just like the whole British setting you know this old old british thing going on it's just it's just really cool and i think they set it in the period really well you know there was nothing that took me out of that that time and uh they sold it to me um but uh i don't know the the thing was i think arthur you know the main guy daniel radcliffe he uh he was so melancholy he was almost like emo like woe is me the (laughs) whole movie you know, I he cracked a smile like one time and I think he was faking it, you know, at that point. But Probably. Uh, were you were you bothered by? The, I mean, this guy his, was a big downer.
4: Well, yeah, it's like, I don't know. His kid was pretty old, too. So if his wife died at childbirth and his kid, you know, is old enough to be like coherent and within, you know, not left alone or whatever, um he it. I don't know. I just think it's unbelievable. I think he would not be sad that long. He would be a bad father if he didn't you need know, to move on at some point and actually like be a father to his kid.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He needed to get over it because that, that well, I didn't even think about how old his kid was because he probably what like six, seven, eight years old. At that point, and
4: they all look the same to me. You'd be better judging.
0: Yeah, I yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> just throwing that out there. I have no idea, really. But it was a good length of time, and he had that that cute nanny going on there. You know, why, why didn't why wasn't he moving? Time on? to move on. Yeah, 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 but he was just yeah, really. So he he kind of brought me down. The whole movie. Um, so that was that was kind of a bummer. But uh, I don't know. I found I found all these jump scares uh, really spooky. Um, even not the jump scares. Like even when he saw the woman in black from a distance. You know, like he saw her out across the way, you know, when he's looking out the window of the house. And then he looks back and she's gone. And the way they use the music and everything. Um, I don't know. And the faces creeping up behind them. That, that, was, that was kind of scary. I mean, I'll give you Sometimes. the bird. Yeah, the, the bird was dumb. I'll give you that because it's one of those <laughs> fake things where you're like, "Oh, oh, just kidding wasn't really anything at all. they like, do that a lot yeah. in this in this movie,
4: yeah, like there's just a lot of stupid like I mean there's some good jump scares, there was like one where a kid's bleeding out of their mouth, that was pretty good, yeah, um, and there was some of like the spirit or whatever, but overall, I felt like every time I turned around, they were trying to scare you, and at some point it becomes not scary because so much of it is thrown at you,
0: you know, yeah. Yeah, I could, I I can get that, but you got. I'm, I'm gonna throw a scene out to you, and it was one of my favorite scenes of the movie. But when he he goes back into town, he's, he's, uh, he'd just seen the woman in black again because the whole, I don't know, I'm not gonna give that away, but he just saw her again. He goes back into town, and he goes into that house that's burning because for whatever reason he decides to go into the burning house and play the hero and and (laughs) whatever. He didn't even know the people. People, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he runs in there and there's a girl standing there in the middle of all these flames burning room. And he, he kind of stops there and looks at her deciding what to do. And the girl looks to her side and the camera pans over and there's the woman in black standing in the corner. And then it pans back over to the girl and the girl picks up a like a lamp, an oil lamp, and just smashes it down at her feet. And she bursts into flames
4: that like, was cool, I'll give yeah. you that. That was cool. Yeah. And the flames even looked pretty good. And but I'm not I guess I should clarify. I thought this movie was satisfactory. There were parts that were actually really good. There was sometimes I was actually scared and you know, I actually enjoyed most of it. I just think overall they were going too hard on it. I think it almost became a mockery of itself.
0: This is adapted from a novel, I believe that was written whenever and this isn't the first time that they made the Woman in Black. Um, there was oh, actually, I didn't know that. yeah, there was a um, a British uh, TV miniseries or something, uh, also called the Woman in Black. And um, I'm I'm actually going to be talking about that uh, later in the show here with Evil Mike from uh, Evil Episodes, um, because he he actually turned me on to it. He said, "Hey, you know this this isn't the first time they made it," and so it's going to be hard for me to um, here to not make comparisons to that because now I've seen them both and um but which uh, one's better um you know I probably liked the older one uh a little bit better as a matter of fact um because it's weird it's made for tv and um it's a it's longer but uh man yeah it was uh it was definitely different because something I noticed about this one is how dark it was like the whole thing was really really dark did you notice that
4: yeah, it was obviously meant to be, like, it hides things when you shoot them in the dark. Yeah. So I think that helps hide some of the, you know, CGI or whatever that they have to put in to make a movie that they wanted. Yeah. I'm not a fan of that either, but, I mean, you know, it is what it is. Um, There were some good scenes, though, with the woman in black, and she, you know, the one time when she was screaming or whatever, she totally creeped me out. So, I mean, there was definitely parts I
0: was a little bit terrified. Yeah. And the old one, it doesn't rely on The old one is more, uh, you rely on atmosphere and stuff because they don't have a lot of those kind of jump scares. And uh, this one, it's just like very modernized. Yeah, it's kind
4: of cookie cutter.
0: Well, it kind of needs something for the kids, you know, to to really dig. And I think that's what they were trying to do.
4: Yeah, it was very PG. I, I don't even know what it was rated, do you? No, I don't remember. But it's it feels PG, not R rated. It
0: yeah, it does. But you know what? It, you know what's amazing is this did really well in the theaters. Like it made a ton of money. You and know? Cabin in
4: the Woods is not making a ton of money. It upsets
0: me. Oh, I know. I I actually haven't seen that yet, and I do want to. Oh
4: shame, Corey. Shame. Yeah,
0: I know. I know. But uh, this is my one like theater going experience here. For, like, <laughs> you got a, ripped uh, off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Overall. I enjoyed it. Uh, The the one scene, though, that I think bothered me out of the entire movie, you know, all the jump scares and some of these weird things we're talking about and Daniel Radcliffe being kind of weird. Okay, but the one thing that I'm like, there is no way I just I couldn't believe it at all. Whenever he had figured out things about the marsh, and he wanted to dig something up out of the marsh,
4: <laughs> and he climbed
0: in it. Yeah, he climbed down into the. He basically made a dive down into this thick, it was muddy disgusting. stuff, and he recovered something that people had been trying to recover for a long time. He okay. just had to
4: climb in, just hop in real quick.
0: It was actually a very easy recovery. He just kind of <laughs> went down. And he was down there for maybe, you know, 30 seconds or a minute. You know, there's a little suspense there. Oh my God,
4: is he coming out? Yeah. Yeah.
0: But, uh, you know, then he's like, I found it. And they pulled it out and it's exactly what they were looking for. And I'm like, (laughs) you know, everybody before you must not have been all that (laughs) all that diligent. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Like I tried looking on the corner. It wasn't there. So I'm done looking.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I also
4: don't get his motivation. Like I understand he was going to forget the paperwork or whatever, but it seems like then, you know, he wants to like uncover this mystery or whatever. And it just, I don't know. It seems very, not like something someone would actually do. He,
0: yeah, he kind of got obsessed with it and you don't really understand why. um, Because it's obvious That he wants to get back home to his son, you know, because he's like I said, only supposed to be out of town a few days and then they were going to get together again. But as soon as he starts going through all that and he sees like these children committing suicide and getting killed in weird ways, um, you know, he kind of he plays. He's like Mr. Detective, you know, he's he's got to figure out, crack the case here, figure out what's going on.
4: Um, And every townsperson is like staring at him. So you think that he would be like, "Um, the sooner I get out of here, the better.
0: Oh, yeah, it's either stay in this town that's full of people that don't want me here and actually hate me or stay in this really, really creepy house where there are all kinds of ghosts and everything that you know probably going to kill me eventually or whatever. And I just
4: feel like they could have collected papers and took off and it wouldn't have had to go through all of it.
0: Yeah, yeah, he should have. Now, the thing was he wasn't doing real well at his job and kind of going out to this house was kind of like a last chance to, to prove himself. Try
4: and do it, yeah. Yeah,
0: so I don't know if he was out there and really trying to— To impress the boss or whatever you think that might have had something to do with it
4: well i mean yeah but i just don't feel like settling someone's paperwork it takes that long and so i don't i mean i get it but most of the time when he was out there he was like really focused on the mystery or whatever um i guess watching him do paperwork wouldn't be very exciting (laughs) though so look he went on a mystery and he is doing his law homework (laughs) (laughs) that's not that exciting
0: yes here's how british people put their house up for sale in the 20s
4: (laughs) (laughs) someone goes and stays there for a while and a mystery is uncovered and voila it's on sale
0: yeah yeah so yeah it wouldn't have made for quite such an effective film i don't think if uh, they would have did that i don't know and the ending and again you know i don't want to spoil this of course but uh I, re- I didn't see the ending coming. And again, I, I, uh, maybe I was comparing it to the, the original and uh, because the endings are, are vastly different and the, the whole things. But uh, what did you think of the ending, I guess, without giving too much away?
4: I thought that was the worst part. <laughs> I really did. I felt like it was just cheesy. Like, I don't know. I don't... Without giving too much away, I don't like when movies are tied with a nice ribbon but it was tied with a ribbon that was wrapped with another ribbon and made sure like everything was perfect and delicate and it's not you know i guess it's sort of a twist ending or whatever but it's not a twist i don't know i mean fans will have to decide um i don't think i gave anything away with that either because you really no. there's not much you can take from it, it every, you're gonna like it or you're gonna hate it what did you think
0: um yeah, the only thing i think i liked about it was that i didn't see it coming and that ribbon you were talking about that they wrapped it up with, I call that ribbon the sequel ribbon. Right? <laughs> and they are. You know, they're, they're definitely making a sequel to this.
4: Well, anything that makes money, they go out and make a sequel to, right?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something like the, the rule when I was uh, in school and I had film classes. They always told me that the rule was that they would see how much money that the film made. And sequels just over history always seem to make seventy five percent of the movie that came before it. So if this this made like $100, a dollars or something, you know, during the So they're gonna make as run. many
4: as they can. Oh yeah.
0: Oh definitely
4: like paranormal activity or Saul or anything from our childhood even.
0: Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah, until until the well runs dry and then they'll just move on to the next thing.
4: They'll just remake or remake another movie.
0: Yeah. Well, that's the that's, thing. They'll make it so many sequels that uh, it'll be time at that point for a remake of this first one again. A reboot, and then, and then remake, the cycle whatever. Yeah.
4: yeah. A prequel, you know,
0: oh, something. there you go. There you go. I, I want to know why this guy is so melancholy. Like, give me a, give me a prequel. <laughs> He's so
4: sad. Yeah, he is. You're up, Harry Potter. It's okay that you're out of school. I know.
0: You're such a sad boy in this movie. <sighs>
4: he was he was kind of sad as Harry Potter, too. Yeah. He was kind of emo in a different way.
0: yeah. Yeah, he should, have, he should have kept the I lightning loved bolt, Harry Potter. though.
4: Yeah, it was tough. <laughs> With his floppy hair. At least he got his hair
0: done differently for this movie. Yeah, he did. He stepped it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, he did. Like I said, you know, little Harry's all grown up now, and... This is his first kind of, you know. I don't know. I, has he done anything since the last Harry Potter? Before this, I don't even. I don't really follow she, this. Well, guy.
4: he really was naked in some play, but I don't know Ooh. if he does anything else after that.
0: That's right. He went through that stage where he was like, uh, wasn't he doing like cross-dressing stuff and like this whole. No, weird... he
4: just. Well, it was theater. I mean, maybe he cross-dressed. I know he was naked on a horse. Oh wow! Yeah, I wasn't into it. I have a question, though. What about the scene with... I'm sorry to go back to the movie, but... No, no. I, <laughs> what about the scene with uh, the lady who has little dogs that are eating at the table?
0: <laughs> she was nuts. And she was kind of creepy. She, I found
4: that scene to be interesting, at least enough to make me think about it after the movie.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, because she was definitely nuts. And, you know, she played she played some important uh, roles as far as plot points went and and, and things. So... But she was nuts. You know, the, the thing I think I'd like the most about her, other than she was treating her dogs like they were <laughs> like babies. Yeah. But um, when she was sitting at the table, and her husband beforehand had told Arthur, he said, Don't bring up our deceased child. Don't bring that up to her because she, it, it just drives her crazy. So they sit down to eat dinner. And what does she bring up to them? Well, the but fact yeah. that uh, the child does and then it sends her like it sends her off the deep end. Like she starts going nuts and she carves that she's like, I want to draw you a picture. And she's oh, yeah, she yeah, yeah, that was weird. And so that, that kind of creeped me. I forgot about that lady.
4: You know, yeah. it's funny because the more we talk about it, the more there are things that I actually did like about the movie.
0: That's weird because there are a lot of cool elements to this. And when you think about them on their own Like they're, they're really cool, but apparently together it
4: wasn't that great for me. But like I said, it wasn't horrible. It's just very cliche.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It did. It wasn't anything new, uh, like you said, but, uh, for me, the, I think, uh, something that struck me and especially that I'm, I'm, you know, a father now, my, my son is, you know, almost a year and a half old. And, uh, the, the thing that really kind of got me a lot of times during this was, when children die, you know, and especially um you know the, seeing a lot of dead kids in this movie and, and there
4: is and, a lot of and, dead kids in this movie, uh,
0: yeah, a lot of dead kids, I mean, and, yeah,
4: a lot, a lot of dead kids, really and,
0: dead ones, sort of dead ones, yeah, almost like uh you know ghost zombie kids they they look pretty cool they were they were pretty creepy, you know, and they they up. uh, yeah, they were all right, yeah, yeah, and I, and that thing just it strikes me so much more than like before I was a dad because before uh, I'm just like oh cool a kid just died oh look at that dead kid in his movie all right you know they had the balls to kill a kid which i i still respect you, you know? should
4: still feel that way well, it's
0: still ballsy it but oh yeah i i totally do and it it i it's I, I okay if it's say. in a movie but it affects me differently now because um i can't help but think of my own son you know what would you and, do and,
4: if your kid became a zombie
0: oh man that you that don't would to be talk about it <laughs> That would seriously be like that a classic zombie movie dilemma, because I'd probably be the stupid person that would sit there and and give him a hug and say, "Oh, oh and son, that's okay, him. yeah, yeah, I'd probably die yeah.
4: you're like death by child it It comes early in the game, <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, and uh, I' this... to
4: survive longer <laughs> than that <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, you wait if you if you have children someday. I, I'm a non-breeder,
4: no worries. Oh, yeah? Oh. Yeah, I got cats. That's
0: enough. Oh, yeah. yeah, that was uh...
4: And a podcast. I feel like you have a lot to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: a little bit. I, I managed to fill up my time pretty well. but
4: And you yeah. went weekly now, so you're really going to be busy. I,
0: I know. This is crazy. This is really not. But I love it. Actually, I mean, this is what I used to do before uh, I did the weekly horror podcast, is that uh, I actually did the solo cast thing every week. Um, and I, I interviewed a lot of people. I reviewed a lot of movies. I did a lot of stuff. And uh, so, you know, I knew what I was in for when I was doing this. And I really, really liked it while I did it. Um, and here I am again. and what Trying you know? it out again. <laughs> well, why not? I'm
4: new. I'm a newbie to podcast I only started in like September. So I've never heard you solo cast before. Mm. I did hear your first episode. It sounded great. Oh, I appreciate that. that uh, of course. That of course.
0: And yeah. Uh, so, give me a rating on this uh, out of One 10. One to 10. Yeah. 5.5. Um, 5. Ooh, that's higher than I thought you would rate it.
4: Yeah, I mean, there's, like I said, there's a lot of cliched things, but there are some genuine good scares in it, and it's not, for a ghost story, it's not all that bad, so 5.5. 5.
0: Yeah, now are you going to maybe be curious about the sequel, at least to see it like maybe no. on DVD or something? or.
4: No, I mean, if someone makes me watch it, I'll watch it, but I'm not going to seek it out.
0: Hmm. Well, maybe I'll call you up again when the sequel comes out. And <laughs> see me come you back that.
4: <laughs> <laughs> you will watch The Woman in Black. Uh,
0: yeah, <laughs> At, uh, I'm going to give this Um, I'm going to come in higher Um, because overall I, it, I did enjoy it and I thought it was a, a fun experience. You know, even though Radcliffe was a bummer and there are some things, you know, I, I didn't quite believe in the, in the film. I thought there were a lot of great things going on. And, uh, you know, the biggie about it not feeling like a Hammer film to me, that was that was another thing. But I'm just going to not dock My it for cow. that, because Hammer Hammer right now is a completely different production company than it was back like 30 years Went ago. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I can't dock it for that. I mean, they're they're selling to a whole new audience. And the kids, like I said, they need their jump scares. They need the scary faces in the window and the little zombie-looking things and some of that. So
4: flashy stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, you got to make a buck. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a seven, actually, which is uh, pretty strong. Um, not in that the is theaters. Um, it comes out in DVD, I think. Um, I was reading it's going to be the end of May for uh, the US, and then sometime I think middle to the end of June for the rest of the world. So, you can uh, wait,
4: people. You can wait. <laughs> yeah. I well, mean, it's like I said, it's worth uh, watching or whatever. It's just not, you know, it's definitely not going to make my rewatch
0: list. Yeah. On that note, uh, I think you should seek out the, uh, the. it's a 1989 uh, make of this book. They were both based on the novel. So this one wasn't a remake of that movie. Uh, they were actually both, I think they went back to the novel and based it off oh, of that. Oh, okay. Um, so it's it's interesting to see the two different takes on it and uh, I think you ought to see that and uh, let me know what you think and uh, me and uh, Mike from Evil Episodes will be talking about it
4: oh you're rounding out the whole episode with this oh I, nice. am.
0: I am I am I got all into it because once Mike told me about that and M- Mike told me that it was the superior film uh, the older one and he's like oh you gotta see that and I'm like dude like I'm gonna track this down I am gonna see it and we gotta talk about this you know it'd make for a great episode I thought so Ta-da. Ta-da. Podcasting magic happens.
4: Well, thank you for having me on it. It's been interesting to
0: review this movie. I, I'm glad. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to do this again. And uh, everybody should go check out Rotten Rannings because it's fantastic. And uh, your your new episode will be out here uh, real real shortly. So Correct. Uh, we'll be checking um, that we're out.
4: We're excited. Thank you. Uh, like I said, I appreciate you having me on. And everyone should hit me up on Twitter at Rots and that's my gmail too love me people love me
0: awesome awesome and we're all one big happy family there on horror palace so you can find you can't out forget anymore. the monster feed the monster feed and it is becoming monster there are lots of uh you know another show just came on uh the network this past week um which is uh of course it's it's on the tip of my tongue but i won't even be devour able to the podcast devour the podcast and uh that's really fantastic um and just new stuff happening all the time, so it's really, really great. So check out the monster feed and uh, that's about that. Anything else you want to add before we call it a night?
4: Nope, but uh wait on the movie. That's I guess something to add.
0: Uh, wait on it. yeah, yeah. well wait, there we go. Wait wait. <laughs> hey, thanks, Katie. Let's do this again.
4: All right, thanks, Corey. All right, no
0: problem.
2: Do you believe in ghosts? Never have. Why not? They were just stories made up? Yes, so you're a skeptic. I was until today. She was quite real. I I felt I could have walked up to her and touched her. Did she see you like I'm seeing you now? Yes, I'm sure. It was her eyes. She wasn't just looking. She she was hating. You could tell? It was somehow like a hunger. A kind of dreadful, mad hunger that had all turned to hate. Against you? It felt like that. There was a sort of power coming from her. And that's where you run.
1: You were scared.
0: Right now, I welcome a friend of mine and a co-podcaster at the same time here on the Horror Palace Network, my friend Mike from Evil Episodes. Good evening, sir. How are you? Midnight, Corey. It's a blast to uh, be recording with you again. After
3: my uh, the, the, the epic segment on the weekly horror podcast that spark quite a discussion over a found footage movie.
0: That was quite epic. And I'm so happy that you're here tonight because uh we're going to talk about a movie that not a whole lot of people know about. And I didn't even know about because you kind of turned me on to this, which is really cool. So, uh you know, we're talking about The Woman in Black. Uh, it's causing all kinds of waves and everything throughout the horror community. It's in theaters right now. Um But there was a movie before that that was based on the same novel, uh, and it was a, a British production, so this was from 1989. So you turned me on to this, so uh, what's what's this one all about, The Woman in Black from 1989?
3: Well, it was actually, yeah, like you said, uh, it was a made-for-TV movie, and uh, like you said, adapted from the exact same novel. Um, so in general, the story is similar. There's, you know... A good number of differences in the story and the style of filmmaking. Um, You could could definitely see a big difference in uh, what these filmmakers might have thought was creepy. Of course, budgetary uh, issues being a made-for-TV movie versus the big Hollywood blockbuster. Um, I guess you could say the new one was like a uh, plot vehicle for Mr. Daniel Radcliffe trying to shed the uh, the – the Harry Potter <laughs> image, uh, trying to show he's grown up a little. Right. Uh, um, I actually had heard this one on a on a podcast, uh, uh, f- uh, other fellow long timers at the at the Horror et cetera podcast. And uh, yes, well, yeah, uh, Epic Podcast. There, I think they they're one of the longest running ones I've been listening to. <laughs> but they actually had done an episode on the movies, and like you, at the time, I had never even known this one existed. I uh, looked around and was lucky to find one for sale, a copy. And being a fellow podcaster, I might have overpaid, but uh, you know,
0: we do what we got to do, right? Oh yeah, it's like in a million parts on YouTube. If you can stick it out for that, you it- can watch this there too, which I did. And uh but this is worth it, man. This is uh it's so different than the one that we're seeing in the theater right now. Uh a whole different time. This is 1989. A whole British made-for-TV movie, and for me, this entire movie is full of like that British charm. You know, I, I really like this depiction of Great Britain during this time, like what the the twenties or something like that. Uh, yeah. Then we see in the new one. Do you agree?
3: Oh yeah, I definitely agree. Um, this <laughs> this one in nineteen eighty nine. Very different time um, as far as horror movies go, and I would say even even this is even different from even probably what you would typically see in '89. I mean, yeah. as far as what was coming out in the theaters, and uh, but don't be fooled by what we're saying because that doesn't at all suggest that this is bad because I actually prefer this version of it, and uh, you know we'll get into why, plenty of reasons why. But um, I like you. I have seen both versions. I actually saw the new version in theaters with my wife. And I had seen the new one first, which, you know, I, I enjoyed. But once I saw this old 1989 version, you know, and the differences and the things that I liked better, it, it made me look at the 2012 one again and started making me pick at little things and say, wow, you know, this older one, they did small things that made it a little more creepy to me and a little more effective. And, uh, you know, maybe it's just a sign of the times nowadays where movies tend to, you know, borrow so heavily from each other, where, you know, a lot of ghost movies all tend to uh, have have a lot of similar aspects. So seeing something so
0: vastly different was a, was a, a treat. And isn't it funny? I mean, to me, you know, you look at uh, the new Woman in Black, And it was made by Hammer Horror. And Hammer is pretty much a a brand new company from what it was back in like the 80s, 70s, 60s. When I think of Hammer Horror, I I think of movies, you know, like Dracula, Plague of the Zombies, um, you know, so many classic films like that. And what's funny is I look at the newest Woman in Black and then I look at this version from 1989 And this version, which was not Hammer-affiliated by any means. Hammer was kind of not operating during this period of time. But I see this British TV version hearkening back to everything that I kind of loved about Hammer horror in the first place. So it speaks of Hammer so much more than the new one does, even though the new one is made by Hammer. Um, You know, it's very much more British. You know, it, it feels so much more like a period piece like it's it almost a little bit more like a stage kind of thing well not not really a stage piece but but almost back in that classic time of filmmaking yeah i feel i I got i I definitely feel like it
3: looks like it takes places in an era that could have been right alongside um to like the bella lagos dracula or the wolfman from that era and i mean that's just a testament to uh the filmmakers,
0: because, you know,
3: they, they knew what they were doing.
0: And just to give a story here, which is basically the same kind of story that we see in the new one, but a little bit different. We have an attorney, a guy that works for a law firm uh, in London, and he's assigned to kind of deal with the estate, all the paperwork of this woman, uh, a Dreblo, Mrs. Dreblo, uh who had recently passed away. She was a widow. And her whole estate was now up in the air. Legal people had to come in, sort it all out, sell the house, make sure everything was all in order. And uh, this guy who was working for this law firm was sent in to deal with this. And his boss didn't want to do it. And so he sent this guy, uh, Arthur, in to do it. And uh, this was quite a daunting task. Arthur thought that he was going to be kind of in and out of there in a few days He'd go in, take care of the paperwork, sell the house. And then he was kind of going to vacation with his family there uh, after he was done. So they were going to come in and they were going to have a good time. But he gets there. And first of all, this location that he's in is not like your vacation spot. Like, I, w- I wouldn't want to take my family to a kind of place like this. Because first of all, the town, they they don't really take well to visitors. Um, you know, they're kind of doing their own thing. And then this whole mansion, this ill marsh house that they're in is like totally spooky, especially the way that you got to get to it with the whole sea mist and the whole like legend around it. It, It's really, really spooky. Oh yeah. uh, And trails to the marsh, through the marsh. Yes. Yes. And it's so great. And, uh, you know, I don't want to give too much away about what happens, but, he gets to the house and he starts finding everything and sees weird things. He hears weird things. And the most prominent, of course, is this woman in black. The first time he sees her, actually, he attends the funeral, uh, which uh, it's just him and what Mr. Tuvi, I think. There's like two people okay. at the, the whole service. He sees her in the graveyard. And at that point, he just thinks he's, she's some kind of mysterious woman. And, uh, but he keeps seeing this figure throughout the whole movie, especially when he goes to the house and it gets weirder and weirder, creepier and creepier. And uh, at one point, you see her, and I love the look of the woman in black when you first see her close up. And she's she's looking at him and approaching him, and she's very thin and gaunt and pale. Mm-hmm. Like, she literally, she looks like a corpse. And her eyes just get you. I mean, that creeps you out, man. Yeah, and... and- it's all practical makeup
3: too, which is a, for me in most, in most uh, situations, that's going to be a total plus. Yeah. Yeah. Just, a, just expanding on, um the, the woman herself, the woman in black, you know, something that this movie does so effectively, which I really believe is like almost a lost art in today's, you know, I won't say all horror, but spe- you know, a lot of Hollywood horror and even, you know, comparing it, to the new version of a uh, woman in black, you know, there's times where she's, a, she appears and, you know, we're not going to give away every time she appears, but just in general, when she appears, you know, there's no, you know, screeching, there's no crazy music. There's no jump scares. She just kind of appears out of place and she's just kind of there. But, but, but the, the, the cool thing that makes it creepy is you know the scene is still going on, and she, she might just be there in the background, and she 's just kind of there watching what 's going on and as a, as the viewer you know you notice the figure right away as to where Arthur Kidd you know he might be talking to someone and he doesn 't notice her for the longest time, but the viewer gets stuck in the tunnel vision of oh my god what 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 is that back there just standing there, kind of stalking, kind of watching over. And the fact that, you know, they almost take a less is more approach and that to me, that really draws the viewer in, I mean, and just creeping you out because, you know, that is something that definitely could take place in real life. And and, and that's not to say that's you know, it's a necessarily a ghost standing somewhere, but how many times have you been somewhere and something catches your eye that just kind of seems out of place and you get a little creeped out about it And and just watching it, how she just kind of appears certain times and when when arthur kidd finally notices and you just see the expression on his face kind of change and as the movie goes on and the appearances kind of get more more frequent and he just goes from a little spooked to just totally freaked out i mean to me that really as as a viewer to me that just helped creep me out even more as the movie went on so i thought that was the way they handled the actual character of the, of the woman in black, I thought was, you know, grade A stuff.
0: Yeah. And how they took these seemingly ordinary circumstances, like you were saying. You know, these little appearances of of this woman standing across the way, and she's in black. And, you know, it could be any woman, but she's just a little weird. And you take her for out of place. They're making these seemingly ordinary circumstances seem just kind of weird and out of place. And they do that. There's not a lot of music. If you notice, there's there's not a lot of audio effects drawing you into that whole thing the whole time. I mean, there's, there's a little bit from time to time. But overall, there's not a lot of music going on to help you along. So it has something to do with the way it was shot, something to do with the way the actors were acting, something to do with how, uh, you know, Arthur Kidd, you know, the main guy, this Adrian, um what's his name? Adrian uh Rollins um mm-hmm. portrayed the main character, which I thought was brilliant. Yes. And it was it was something with the atmosphere and the fog. I mean, there were there were so many weird times, you know, all the appearances of the woman in black, um, being lost in that sea mist and having all those sounds, you know, he found himself Getting to this house was this long winding weird pathway through this marsh and it was just caked with this sea mist this heavy dense fog that you could not see through you had to go through and he would be in the house and he would start hearing screams he would start hearing you know the the uh, the clatter of horse feet and uh, you know a carriage and everything and he would go out to investigate and he would get himself lost in this fog and not see anything at all and just be encumbered by these sounds. But there would be nothing. And then all of a sudden he finds himself lost in this fog. And it was very terrifying the way they filmed it, the way he portrayed it. It was very, uh, you were drawn in to him and you felt what he was feeling. And so many scenes of terror and this uh, just weird things beginning to happen in the mansion, especially in that room in the nursery whenever mm-hmm. he goes in and and things are... And again, I, I don't want to give too much away because people should try to see this. Again, it's on YouTube, so you can, you can watch it if you have the patience to do this. But uh, it is worth it. Uh, there are so many things that you see and experience that are so, so good. And so, you know, Mike... Man, you've seen both of these movies, like I have, and which one would you rather go back and see now that you've had the choice? Well, I actually watched the 89 version a
3: second time for the podcast, and I have to say that the second time around, it was just as effective. And even though a lot of the times I knew what was coming my way, just, you know, sometimes you watch a movie and... You know, as it's going on and you're getting creeped out, you just realize, you know, the 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 filmmakers in this in this case, it was directed by a guy named Herbert Wise. They just get it as far as how to creep out the viewer. And you know, comparing these two, it goes into the narrative that you know, if if you know what you're doing as far as you know, being a good judge of what's creepy, what's scary, what is the viewer going to find scary. You don't need the fancy parlor tricks necessary. You don't need the huge budget. You don't even need the known actors because going into this, I really didn't recognize anyone in the movie. And this is one of those things when it first started up. You know, I'll, I'll be honest. Like with in the first five minutes, I was like, "Okay, did did the people that recommended this know what they're talking about?" Because <laughs> you know, you 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 kind of get that little instant worry because you know it's a little, you know, it's a it really has the made for TV feel it's lower budget 89 okay but you know once you get like 15 minutes in and and the story progresses and i'm telling you you know everyone once the woman in black shows up for the first time and you just get that the reaction and all that you're gonna be hooked because uh it's just gonna give off this creepy vibe and you're gonna you know and I, i think as a horror fan as horror fans in general. That's the kind of feeling you, you know, you seek when you watch horror movies, and especially you know, in our age with everything we've seen, how often are you still getting you know really really creeped out by movies? And I think this is one that if people go back and watch, they're gonna get creeped out. And as as far as like the comparison, you know, I think I mentioned it earlier. The 2012 one, I didn't you know, I didn't necessarily not like. I would still. Um, Probably watch it again um, I there were still things about it I liked but the character of the woman in black herself it was just very typical of what you're getting out of out of Hollywood if you've seen a ghost story in the last you know five eight years in the theater you pretty much know exactly how. The the ghost and the new one's going to behave. What the face is going to look like, you know what the what the what the sounds coming out of her are going to sound like. Because it's all pretty much paint by number stuff, yeah. and yeah. that's not you know it doesn't you know the movie as a whole. I I still had a fun time within the theater, but it, you know if I had to pick one um, to to go revisit, I guess a third time now, it, it's definitely going to be the nineteen eighty nine version.
0: I agree. I agree. I I feel you know I came out of the 2012 version of Woman in Black, and I kind of I I have everything from it that there is to be had. You know, a lot of jump scares, a lot of you know the, the, you know gory scenes. You know, some children things going on, kids committing suicide, and some things like that. Um, but uh, that's what it was banking on, as far as I'm concerned. You know, and I, I think I got all of that. But I go back to this original, you know, the, the 1989 version, and uh, I feel like I am going to be drawn into it again and again and again. Yeah. You know, they, they rely on things like storytelling and atmosphere to pull you into this movie. And it's the kind of thing that can be repeated And can pull you in again and again if it is effective. And they did here. Um, It doesn't rely on as many jump scares. We have a couple uh, really good jump scares in this film. But uh, not nearly as many as in the new one. uh, Mm -hmm. Because the new one is jump scare upon jump scares. Scary things here and scary thing there all over the place. But this doesn't. Um, This relies more on kind of building the story. And there's a lot of dialogue. And you have a little bit more explanation you know, as to exactly what's going on, Um, but uh, it's it's not too much to the point where it is over-explaining things and really preaching to the audience. Oh, I was gonna say, yeah, in the '89
3: version too. It's like besides besides you know the wardrobe and the scenery for the fact of making it look kind of like a period piece. I never got the vibe from it that they were trying to stylize anything for the sake of being you know stylish. Everything <laughs> looked legitimate like it's supposed to be there this is really what it would look like and you know you know re-watching the 2012 version you know I mean sometimes the movies just you know unnaturally always dark and, you yeah. know it has to take you know in, in the 89 version the woman in black will you know she will appear kind of when she wants to appear doesn't matter you know if it's a daytime scene if 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 like you said earlier it's a perfectly normal situation and she's just there and i you know i'm glad you brought up the jump scare factor in the new one because you know i and me personally i'm not an anti jump scare person i i tend to to um be on the side of you know jump scares are a good thing however <laughs> with that said the fact that 89 gets away you know with creeping you out with just the long shots that, you know, they're not really made to make you kind of do that little jump into your seat. They're meant for you to be sitting there and watching a scene of dialogue and see something in the background that makes you just kind of want to grab your blanket and, you know, cover your face mm-hmm. until the scene's over. And that to me, that's a completely different sensation than a jump scare. And I mean, I think, you know, eighty nine pulls it off flawlessly.
0: Yeah, I I'm, I'm not saying I'm against jump scares by any means cuz there's a time and a place for them. Man, if you put them in the right spot in a movie, they're great. And but uh you can't bank on them, man. You can't you can't exactly. base your whole movie and and say this is why my movie is scary cuz you got jump scares, you know, throughout the whole thing. It can't be like that. And uh I think it's again, like you said, a sign of the times. You know, I think horror audiences need more jump scares to engage them further into a movie because are they going to be disinterested in a movie that is more psychological and creeps up on you that way than in a movie that delivers to you more viscerally like uh, like the 2012 does it's hard it's hard yeah exactly yeah you know other things going on here arthur you know if we talk about the two arthur's here we have adrian uh, again uh rollins I keep forgetting his name, Adrian Rollins that played Arthur in the 1989 version versus Harry Potter, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe, who d- annoys me d- d- for some reason. I don't know why I just I d- can't get into this guy as an actor other than Harry Potter. And uh, that's that's all I know him as. And, well, he, uh, yeah. he definitely felt a little
3: young for this part, yeah. I mean, watching it and... You know, and, and see, it's an interesting thing because certain gripes, you know, I would have never had without seeing the 89 version because not, you know, I, I've never read the novel. So I had nothing to reference either movie to. And the fact that I saw the two, two, 2012 version first, I might not have felt the way I did if I had only seen that. But once, you know, I saw this version and I saw that role kind of played the way it was by Adrian Rollins. You know, of course, naturally, it's going to make me compare the two, and I'm just like, okay, yeah, Adrian Rollins was superior in the role.
0: Absolutely. You know, I keep calling him Harry, and I'm sorry, but Daniel Radcliffe was so much more melancholy, and I talked about this a lot with Katie Rots. You know, we called him kind of emo. You know, he was the kind of, you know, it never cracked a smile, hardly, the entire yeah. movie. And you see this other guy, Adrian Rollins, and you know he's he's kind of a he's an up-and-coming lawyer and a solicitor as they call them and uh you know he's he's kind of in a good mood you know and a big difference in between the two movies is that in the older version his wife is not dead and he has an intact family um, yeah so he has a wife a kid it's going pretty good for him in the newer version his wife has died so maybe that You know, that has to do with why he's a lot more melancholy. But, man, I enjoyed Arthur in the older version because, you know, he was kind of a lot more chipper in that. And he kind of came into this. He's like, I'm going to do my job. I'm going to come back home and I'm going to be with my family. And that's all right. You know, it's only going to take a few days. You know, Harry Potter was over here and he's like, oh, woe is me. He was just a big downer the entire time. Did you know this little bit of trivia that uh, I happened upon today? just researching these two films. But Adrian Rollins was uh, James Potter in the Harry Potter films. So he was what? actually in Harry Potter.
3: That is you know, That is a factoid I did
0: not realize. Isn't that weird? But, <laughs> yeah. But, so <laughs> there's a strange connection between the two, but uh, you know, I, I don't know. There's not anything wrong that Radcliffe did in his role in the new one. Was that maybe a, a directorial thing or a you know a, a screenwriter's thing that uh, directed him to go that way? And maybe that wasn't Radcliffe. Maybe that was just the way it was written.
3: Yeah, I mean, it could have been just as a, as a as a much younger actor. You know, he kind of brought a different angle to the role. You know, we'll never know for sure. But I mean, I think it, the difference is is pretty
0: glaring between the two portrayals. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, I could could go on and on, but again, these are two separate adaptations from the original novel. And when you go back and look at it, this earlier version is holding much truer to the original novel than uh, what we see in the theaters right now. So that's something to be said, I think. I think they adapted the newer one to modern audiences. And uh, when they were looking at it in 1989 in, in Britain, you know they were just looking to uh, make a good adaptation of a great novel from what i see and that's what yeah. we got yeah. and, and, and another
3: little interesting tidbit uh according to the wiki page of this it actually the first broadcast was uh, on christmas eve which i find hilarious wow at. this would be it says christmas eve 89 I find that, you know, amazing that that was a night that, I mean, what, what kid would want to go to bed for Christmas morning after watching this?
0: I love it. Oh, the British are awesome. Oh, man. Oh, yeah, really?
3: Now, uh, I mean, as I, you know, we're making our way kind of to the conclusion, which, of course, we're not going to give away. But just in general, the conclusion to the 89 film. Wow. I mean, both of them, if you've seen one. Well, if you've seen the two thousand and twelve, then in general, you kind of get you know, the tone of how the movie's gonna end. But while wow, the eighty nine version, they kind of they kind of fool you there for a sec. and just the way it ends was just like, whoa, like
0: the gut punch. Yes, yes. I loved, loved the ending to this one so much more than the ending to the new one because again, as, as I was talking with Katie earlier, the ending has like sequel written all over it. It's like That's, it's like, cheesy. Like I've seen this ending a thousand times before. Yeah, you know and, whatever. I,
3: the and, ending to the 2012 one was to me, yeah, one of the low points of the movie because it it totally yeah, like you said, it, it just had that similar ending. And you know, I you know, we can't say too much because I'm sure there's people I haven't seen either one yet, but. I I think when you watch the 2012 version, you're gonna be like, okay, I could have guessed this was gonna happen, but the '89 one is just wow. You have, they just totally you know jump the
0: ground, yeah. Yeah, you don't know it's coming, and it's brilliant. And there's there's no sequel. There's no sequel, and it's great. Um, and not to say, and I I'm not spoiling it by saying there's no sequel because there certainly could be a sequel out of yeah. this. But there isn't, and that's also saying something. Nobody went to make a sequel of this film, which is a, a great movie, and people appreciate this, but uh, they left it as it is, and right. I love it. And and like you said, even though there could
3: be a sequel um, based on the ending, you could tell that the ending wasn't written for a sequel to be made. So, I mean, and I think that's a huge difference, and yeah, I mean... I remember the first time seeing this and
0: that ending just was like, Whoa. Yeah. And it's just as effective every time. Cause you can go through this movie again and again. And you, it's the kind of thing where you are hoping that the ending is different. Every time you watch it, and you're like, Oh man, Oh, I yeah. Oh, to get yeah. to the end of this movie and and it's like, you know, a study in insanity and you know, like doing the same thing over and over again and hoping for a different outcome every oh, yeah, time, yeah. you know. And it's it's exactly. like want it to be different, but it, yeah, it's not as you're be. watching
3: it you're like, okay, a little bit more time went by than last time, so maybe that's not going to happen and then
0: boom. <laughs> yeah. Oh, exactly. So, dude, I mean, rating this, I mean, it's it's hard to rate this cuz now we have you know, this newer movie, a newer version of it. And and this one is is a lot harder for people to find unless you get on YouTube or you're willing to spend a, a nice chunk of change. Man, if you rate this overall, you know, a horror watcher nowadays to see this film on a scale of 1 to 10, uh, what do you think? I'll, I'm, I mean, I'm going to be perfectly honest.
3: Going into it, I didn't know what to expect except that I had heard, you know, that people liked it and... uh I was pretty blown away, and wow, how to rate this. You know, I am going to say, because I, I, you know, it's like the number that wants to come out is going to set people back, but wow, I, you know, I'm I'm going to have to say I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10. <laughs> oh,
0: that is really strange because that's what I have down here for myself. And I know people might hate on this, but maybe not, because I don't think a lot of people have seen this. Maybe we're safe here with our ratings. Um, but uh, no. And and a lot of that, like you said, I think is going to be based on the fact that we've seen both movies. And you can't help but compare them, because there's a lot of similarities. But once you see them both, it's like you can't help but start to pick them apart and, and say, well, man, this movie did this so much better than the other one. And exactly. and so I'm right there because this movie does it well, and it, it harkens back to the classics for me. It's it's why so many of even the older black and white films from 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s even it, it did it for me. It's all about atmosphere. You don't rely on jump scares. You rely on some really really scary things that scare you internally, in your mind. Exactly. And uh, that's what this movie does so well. Um, and it captures like all the British charm that I was talking about. This, it, To me, you know, I, I think of when I think of jolly old Britain and, you know, everything, I, I think of this picture in my head, you know, so, this how they portrayed it right here. I don't think of the dark, dismal, scary thing that I saw as the new version. I just yeah, don't. Well, yeah, nothing in this one feels forced. Everything
3: feels like it belongs just the way it was portrayed on film and I'm telling you watching it again for the podcast it it held up just as strong which if if you know you've ever listened to my commentary just in general to me the uh the ghost subgenre of horror horror is the hardest for movies to hold up because once you kind of you know experience those scenes with the ghosts it's going to be difficult to elicit that same emotion seeing them again however this movie because it's not based on jump scares and it's just based on kind of what's going on within scenes that are taking place it's it it holds up and the the scenes that frighten me you know they did the trick the second time around as
0: well amen amen so i encourage everybody to seek this out even if it's on youtube do it because it's definitely worth it and i i think you're gonna find it superior to uh the new version as well so mike thank you for talking to me about this tonight man and thank you ultimately for turning me on to this because if it wasn't for you i i never would have seen this so that was awesome yeah it was a pleasure and hey i mean the only thing more fun than
3: experiencing a great horror movie is being able to share it with others because uh you know, when when you enjoy something so much, the next thing you want to do is is see if someone else is going to get that same enjoyment out of it. And I'm, you know, I'm glad you did. And uh, I guess I guess the next test, Corey, though, is going to be uh, for uh, Bill Chetty to watch it because you know how he is with ghost movies.
0: Ooh, that would be a good one. I, I would be really interested in hearing what he would think seeing the two movies and that's going to be the ultimate test. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Well, hopefully we're going to hear that soon. And, and Mike again, you know, evil episodes, dude, a great show. You and Derek over there, man, are just rocking it. Um, and, uh, what do you got coming up next for us? You give us a sneak peek of, uh, what you're doing right now, man. Well, we're actually, um, we're actually filming
3: the latest episode in a couple days, which is going to be released this coming up Monday. And, uh, we're gonna be talking about season two of The Walking Dead, and it's actually take two, because uh, like I explained, I believe it was on the last episode, the other one. I, I had filmed a segment of that, and the audio the audio file corrupted, and it was unsalvageable. So we're kind of doing a take two with a with a different group, um, and then for the horror piece theater segment, we're gonna be doing a couple bird movies, uh, Alfred Hitchcock's classic The Birds, and then a movie from a couple years ago called dead birds so uh, we like to call it a uh, horror gone afoul.
0: so <laughs> i love it
3: <laughs> we're, all, we're actually gonna have a special guest too which i'll leave a surprise until you hear the voice on the episode but just to give a hint they are from the horror uh
0: palace network oh i can't wait to hear it man you, you guys rock it over there you really do i love it so, much appreciated so. Well, thanks for talking with me again tonight, man, and uh, hopefully, man, we'll be able to do this again sometime really, really soon, because you're, you're just awesome, dude, so thank you. Well, when the Woman of Black
3: uh, 2025 version comes out, <laughs> and we're in wheelchairs, we'll uh, get together again to uh, talk about the latest uh, reboot, definitely. <laughs>
0: All right, Mike, good night, man, thanks. Thank you. Bye. Uh- this is Ferguson Mike
3: Anthony Janeiro
0: Ben Temple Smith Beau Buckley Dan Donnelly This is Don Mazzelli And this is Drew Domkis This is Drew Bull Duke
3: And Dan Nelson in
0: Gray Jeff Bromley
1: Johanna Stokes
0: I'm John Wigger
1: Julie from 19 Nocturne Boulevard Katrina Hill, the action flick chick
3: This is Keith Ledge Kevin Donahue
1: Kim Poirier
3: This is Kyle Stevens And this is Jim DeMonacos And we're Kirby, Kirby Crackle Lori Beckman Metal Mikey Michael Allen Nelson This is Michael Copperman. Mike Davis of Stag Films Mike Mignola
0: Molly B. Beck Ferguson. This is Scott from the Disney Indiana podcast. Neil Machino. Paul Hungerford. Rachel Bloom. Rob Housechild. Robert best Root Rod here. This is Steve. And this is Gord from the Bone Bat Show. I'm Bo Fader. And I'm Brocklin McKinney Thomas Berdinski Tracy Teague Jen Saska.
1: And I'm Sylvia Saska. And we're the Twisted Twins
0: Vaughn from Motion Picture Master
1: Wayne Katki. Sami Farmer here And you're listening to A Little Dead Podcast Place for the full frontal Nerdity Oh yeah man Yeah nerdy. full frontal nerdity Cool Visit alittledead.com Pew! 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 Pew!
0: All right, let's talk about the film Incubus. This is a very new release, straight to DVD, 2011. This is another movie, I'll just warn you right now, I knew nothing about. I saw the cover of it, and the cover actually looks really cool. Uh, we see Robert England on the front, the artwork looks good, and it looks kind of creepy. And I'm like, ooh, this is good, and Incubus, you know, it's going to be a demonic thing. So, man, this could be pretty good, because I really like Robert England. Uh, the more I see of him, like I've said before, the more I appreciate him. And yeah, he has movies that aren't quite so good and are downright bad, actually. But, you know, he does some really, really great work as well. So I'm like, I'll give this a shot. And this is yet another time when I have been burned by a movie that has a cover that looks kind of cool. And so I pick it up and I don't read anything about it. And I, it's, uh, oh man, another waste of a film. Like I said... In this film, we see Robert England. He's the main character, I guess you could say. Um, uh, William Forsyth plays the retired cop. Uh, Joey Fatone. Hey, Joey Fatone of NSYNC fame. And uh, he was also on Dancing with the Stars here in the last couple years. So, yeah, a lot of big names. Joey Silverman from uh, Weekend at Bernie's fame. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah, quite a cast here. Oh, and it's a shame that uh, all, all these big names ended up in a movie like this. Um, of course, Robert England, by no surprise, is the best actor in the film. He he does a, an okay performance uh, compared to everybody else. Um, even William Forsyth just seems to really not care. <sighs> so uh, this movie is 77 minutes long. And thank God, I wish it would have been shorter. It could have been a lot shorter. But what happens is this whole thing takes place in this old rundown police station that is on the brink of being closed down so there's not many cops working there and i think it's just basically a good excuse to have a small cast you know because they obviously didn't have a lot of money to work with here but uh, yeah so there are only a few cops working this place and this police station like i said is seeing its final days now there's some murders being committed they're trying to figure out what's going on they have one kid in there who's a suspect in the murders and all of a sudden, Robert England comes in, and he has like the severed head of the one guy that he killed, and he just starts confessing to all these murders. And it's really weird. And they they kind of lock him up, and they start questioning him, and all these weird things start to happen. And then he starts murdering everybody in in the place, and and uh, it ends up he's this demon incubus, and he's uh, got this thing, this grudge against this ex cop, William Forsythe who apparently, uh, you know, did him wrong in the past and everything. And really, I didn't care. I mean, this movie, I checked out of this movie really, really early um, because the low-budget man was obvious the whole way through, and this movie could have definitely been much, much better with a bigger budget and with some better writing, obviously better d- direction here. Um, the acting, like I said, across the board was extremely uninspired, even from the big names you know, like I said, <laughs> Robert England did the best job in this movie, but that's not even saying much because everybody sucked. Like everybody sucked. And Joey Fatone, why is it that so many musicians think that they can act? Because Joey, man, stick to in sync, stick to Dancing with the Stars and all your network appearances. And, you know, just just stay out of this kind of thing, man. This is not your gig. But, you know, in all fairness, maybe it was just the incompetence on the part of the writing and directing that uh, really made Joey Fatone look like a bad actor. Who knows? I don't think he did a great job. Um, the look of this film, I didn't like at all. It was really weird. Like, the cinematography, the way it was edited was was very bland. It's like... Nobody felt really inspired setting up these shots and blocking them. The the camera rarely moved. You got a little bit of movement every once in a while. But the shots were not creatively staged. Uh, There were no interesting angles. Everything just seemed like it was kind of set up on a tripod. The shots were just kind of strung together back and forth. They weren't even framed or blocked very interestingly at all. So this was not visually even a fun movie to watch. Now, my theory... Is that uh, the DP, the director of photography, the guy that actually you know runs the camera, sets up shots and everything? Um, that for some reason he just didn't show up to the set. Um, he he probably bailed on this, and he he probably just you know kind of came to his senses before shooting began and thought, man, this movie's gonna suck. I- I'm out of here. <laughs> And so when he didn't show up, I'm thinking the rest of the crew had to do something. Sort of like, okay, just get that tripod, put the camera on. Okay, just start rolling. We'll we'll, we'll do everything in post. And uh, yeah, it was really, really bad. And they tried to do things in post. The effects were extremely cheesy. They were really bad um, with a lot of CG worked in as far as smoke and gunfire and bullets and things like that. Um, there's this demon baby that's seen throughout the movie that is not CG, I don't believe. But it looks ridiculous. like it, It's laughable every time you see it. You're like, oh god, that thing looks so dumb. <laughs> and so, yeah, the whole movie is a lot of dialogue. They try to put in little creepy things that Robert England does, little disappearing tricks and things, and it just falls flat on its face. It's horrible. Um, you know, we had even things where, you know, characters who had died, they're showing shots of them, you know, dead there on the floor. And... Like, they're still breathing or they move or something like that. Like, they couldn't even play dead. (laughs) Oh, come on. The whole thing made very little sense overall. The filmmakers, I think, really just tried too hard to do something that was obviously way out of their league, way over their heads. So avoid this movie. I'm going to give it a 2 out of 10. And that is being very, very generous. So, Incubus, do not watch this film. It's friggin' terrible. Ah! Man, you know, one of the things that I'm doing on this show is I'm going out on a limb with a lot of horror, a lot of new releases especially, because I'm interested in seeing a lot of the new stuff that's going on, and what I'm seeing is the percentage of, uh, you know, the ratio of good to bad movies is not that great. (laughs) It's, It's pretty abysmal right now, but... Whenever you happen upon a movie that does it right and really creeps you out and scares you and is really enjoyable, man, it, it, it almost makes it worth it <laughs> that you're watching all this crap. And I, I found a good one. I found a good one this time. It's on Netflix Instant, so if you subscribe to Netflix, you can watch it. This film, I had no idea what I was getting into. It's called The Pack from 2010. Uh, I believe this is a French film. Uh, they speak French in it, and it is subtitled, so you got it. Go through the subtitles. I know a lot of people are turned off by that, but not me, not me, because, uh, you know, I'm not officially diagnosed as being ADHD, but on a self-diagnosis, I would say that uh, I'm probably pretty close. Because, uh, you know, I just have a hard time paying attention and and focusing, you know, especially when I'm watching movies. My eyes are here and there and darting all around. I'm distracted really easily. And uh, uh, subtitles are a way that helps me keep my eyes glued to the screen because I know I have to be reading. I have to be watching. So it helps me engage and pay attention a little bit more. And, you know, I'm a reader anyhow. I'm a huge reader. I love to read anything and everything. So, you know, that's I I, I don't mind subtitles whatsoever. And um, so the pack directed by Frank Richard. Never heard of him. I believe he's French. But then again, I I'm not sure. So knew nothing about this going in. What we have here is this drifter named Charlotte, and she's just kind of driving around, doesn't know where she's going. Gets into it with some bikers, and that's kind of a bad scene. But uh, she ends up picking up this hitchhiker. And uh, they end up talking, and they're just both kind of going wherever. And they drive and drive and drive, and they take turns driving. She lets him drive for a while, and he takes him to this restaurant to get a bite to eat. It's kind of out in this remote place. And they sit down at a table and they start talking and, well, who's, who shows up but the bikers? And they kind of cause a big scene and everything, cause a ruckus. The woman who owns the restaurant and is working there comes out with a shotgun and makes them leave and they grudgingly go. And that's kind of a weird thing that goes on. And then the hitchhiker, whose name is Max, excuses himself to the restroom. And Charlotte's waiting there, waiting there, waiting there. Well, he's in the restroom for like ever. You know, he, he just—he's not coming out. She's like, "What's going on with this guy?" So she's worried about him. You know, they kind of bonded a little bit in this whole thing, uh, even though they don't really know each other. You know, she kind of feels, you know, kind of, kind of like he's a friend at this point. And she goes into the restroom after him. Well, there's no sign of him. Nothing. So she's hanging out in there, trying to figure this all out, having a smoke. And she looks at the wall, and it looks like on the wall, this—you know—something's been hidden, like a door's been concealed. And uh, so she's kind of kind of curious about this. And so things are all weird. God, you know, Max is missing this weird door in the restroom. And she goes out and asks the woman about what she saw in the restroom. And the woman's like, oh, no, that's been sealed up for years. Nobody ever goes in there, this and that. And so Charlotte isn't quite convinced and she's trying to figure it all out. Goes outside and she runs into this guy uh, who can see that she's distraught. And he identifies himself as an ex-cop and is willing to help her out however he can as far as, you know, the missing hitchhiker and everything. So uh, he gets her phone number, her cell phone number, and uh, says that, you know, he'll be in touch. So Charlotte waits around until the place closes up at night. It gets dark and she breaks into the place, breaks into the restroom, is investigating this door. She pries it open and the woman springs up behind her and clubs her over the head. Ends up Charlotte is being caged up at some other location. And this is where things get really weird. Because like I said, going into this movie, I had no idea what I was getting into. Up until then, I'm like, this could be like a psychological horror kind of thing. We have a missing guy. Maybe it could be like a supernatural thing. Maybe there are ghosts. Uh, you know, what's up with this woman? Maybe this is a serial killer kind of film. And you're kind of playing, you know, guess the genre here. What are, what are, we, what are we seeing? Uh well, I had no idea it was going to go where it was going to go. Uh, it completely surprised me because what happens is this woman, whose name is La Spac, is in cahoots with Max, the hitchhiker. In fact, this is a little scheme they have where Max plays a hitchhiker and brings girls to this restaurant. They cage up these girls and I, I guess some guys, too, because there are some guys caged up. And they take them out to this slag heap. It's this place where all this mining had been done. And um, I think it's a little bit sketchy as to exactly what happened. But I guess bad things happened when they were mining years and years ago. And uh, you have headlines that you read like they raped the earth and now the earth wants blood. And so that has something to do with what's going on here. But Lespak and Max take them out, string them up the slag heap where there's this shack and this whole thing that they made and they cut them so that their blood drips down onto the ground and the moon is full and it's dark out and these creatures claw their way out of the ground and they're almost like these mole people kind of they it looks like they don't have eyes they kind of have these weird big tusks and, and uh very very creepy they walk really weird and almost zombie-like Um, But they're these weird creatures and they come up and they attack the people that are strung up and they drink their blood. They rip them apart and Lespak is kind of commanding them like she even goes so far as to pet one of them on the head and gives one of them a bottle of blood to drink. And so these creatures want blood And uh, for some reason, they don't kill Charlotte. You know, she's one of the ones strung up there and they they do drink her blood and they do bite her. But uh, she's still alive, which is a curious thing to Max and Lespac. You know, she's kind of special here. They can't figure it out. So they take her back and uh, clean her up. And I guess they were going to take her out again for another feast at some point so they cage her up again well the cop comes back he's asking all kinds of questions well is kind of you know iffy about that she tries to poison him but that doesn't work he turns the tables on her cages her up rescues charlotte and then him and charlotte hold max at gunpoint when he returns um so charlotte wants max to take her back out to this slag heap for some reason Meanwhile, the cop stays back in this room with the cages where Laspac is caged up. Well, Laspac ends up killing uh, this ex-cop because he's just apparently incompetent or whatever. And uh, she gets out of the cage and everything and follows Max and Charlotte out to the slag heap. But when Max and Charlotte get out there, they find that the shack at this slag heap, uh, the bikers showed up there and decided to, to party there it was just somewhere out in the middle of nowhere where they could party and of course this is not uh, this is not cool but la shows up and starts firing on them she has this gun and says hey you're all gonna be sorry you're all screwed and max is like oh man she's gonna call these uh, these creatures up we gotta board ourselves in this shack so things get crazy from there on out the creatures do come they're big fights, big attack scene, and it's great. I'm not going to give away any more from here on out because you got to watch the movie, you got to watch the ending. There are twists, crazy things that go on here, and it's a fully enjoyable watch. I promise you that. Ah, uh, so man, I really really like this. I really liked it. Um I was pleasantly surprised. The whole movie is dark and kind of dirty, kind of gritty, and um although one complaint that i have is that it might have been a little too dark sometimes like they i think it worked throughout the whole movie because that's the effect they were going for but there were some scenes where i couldn't really tell what was going on and i kind of had to rewind it and, and watch again see if i could figure out what they were trying to show and so yeah that was that was a little annoying but not a big deal i don't think overall but i'm gonna dock it a little bit just for that um the creatures themselves were really really cool they did a great job with makeup with blood effects um and the gore everything was really creepy and really weird they didn't try to go into too much explanation like i said i i still have questions about kind of the why and the how of this and everything but that's okay that's all right i didn't mind it was good it was good they didn't try to explain things away and run the risk of being stupid and kind of overdone. So did a great job there. Uh, the gore is there. The brutality is there. I really, really like that. Everything looked great. Um, you know, and going into this, uh, I'm thinking it might be actually about the pack of bikers, which is why, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what kind of movie this is going to be all throughout. And and uh, But no, it's about these pack of creatures. Which is great. So I was pleasantly surprised. Once again, foreign horror, man, just completely, (laughs) completely makes American horror just look terrible in general. You know, Um, lately, I don't know what it is, man, but foreign horror has got it going on. They really get what scares people, at least in my eyes. You know, so much American horror just sucks or it's it's just a big cash in or it's just nothing original. But this I, I saw it as original. Now I know some people, and I, I I started reading about this after I saw the movie, and I started reading some people's reviews of it, and some people were saying, "Well, this isn't original. We've seen other French horror films that this you know this is kind of borrowing from." And uh, I'm not quite sure that may be the case, but uh, from what I've seen in my experiences so far, I, you know that that wasn't the case. I really enjoyed this. So, like I said once again, foreign horror really does it right. So I, I applaud that. I'm going to give the pack 7 out of 10. You should see this. I think you will enjoy it. Once again, it is available on Netflix Instant, so go watch it.
1: Neon meat dream of a octofish.
0: Oh, man, what a show. Thank you for listening. That about wraps it up for this week. Uh, you got to check out uh, Horror Palace Network. Uh, check out the Monster Feed. All kinds of podcasts going on there. They're all fantastic. Um, thank you. Thank you to Howard Ford. Great guy. Check out The Dead. Check out his book, Surviving the Dead. The links will be up in the show notes where you can get that. But uh, both the movie and the book are definitely, definitely worth picking up. I recommend them highly. Also, thank you to Maria Olson. And uh, way down in Chinatown looks really, really exciting. I have, in fact, donated to that myself. Um, so put a few bucks that way. And that's the beauty of this. Man, five bucks you got five extra bucks laying around it, it just hanging out maybe in your PayPal account or something like that. You can send it to this film, to the makers of this film, and it'll go right to them so that they can make this really, really interesting uh, movie. So I recommend it. And again, these links will all be up in the show notes. Uh, of course, Katie Rotz, Mike from Evil Episodes. you got to check out their podcast, and I really appreciate them taking their time out uh, to watch these films and to talk with me. About them. Um, Really enjoyed that. Check out Rotten Rannings and Evil Episodes, both wonderful podcasts here on the Horror Palace Network. So, oh boy, what a show! Thank you again for listening, and join me again next week for yet another edition of The Electric Chair.